0: To consciousness, exploring spiritual journeys to find answers in uncertainty. And we're live. So, Dr. Brianna Diorio, thanks for being here. I'm excited to chat with you.
1: Thank you for having me. I am also excited.
0: Well, I'm excited. I'm not sure why you're excited, but (laughs) I'm excited because you're a doctor of integrative medicine. So is, can you walk me through like what that schooling kind of looks like? Because, you know, from my mindset, like doctor is usually more of a, it feels like more of a structured type thing, but then integrative medicine is almost like this. To me, it feels like a more of a fluid or dynamic approach to medicine. So, Like, what did that schooling look like and kind of what do you what do you do?
1: Sure. So it was a really natural kind of progression. I mean, I started out in my career. um, Well, I originally went to school, I thought, to be a Spanish teacher. And then I kind of changed my trajectory. I was like a personal trainer at the time, and I really just loved the science of nutrition and all of that. So I had decided to get my master's in nutrition uh, at University of Bridgeport. So I became a clinical nutritionist there. And then from there, I kind of just continued on with schooling, I think, as anybody does as a lifelong learner. I got my holistic lifestyle certification from the Paul Check Institute, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with. Um, I also became a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. So that was what allowed me to really do a lot of cool functional lab tests and kind of dig a little bit deeper and you know tests don't guess and that was great and then um, kind of through there I, I became an herbalist which was amazing because I was always just really drawn to naturopathic and alternative kind of you know therapies and modalities and then after that it was kind of like okay where else can I go from here I was really interested in uh, mental health stuff I was really interested in kind of marrying the worlds of Western and Eastern philosophies. I studied a lot of Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine in my schooling throughout the year. And so I came across this PhD program for integrative medicine, which I love because I think in the world we live in now, there's so much uh, competition between it has to be East or it has to be Western, or you know, some people fall into that bucket of like, okay, yeah, I'm super holistic and I'm really natural and I'm not exposed to X, Y, Z, and then they think they're a bad person if they need to take a Tylenol because they have a headache. And I just don't agree with that. I'm a really big proponent of put as many tools in your health toolbox as you can and. Integrating or, you know, meshing together or blending together as many healing modality as you can. There's always a time and a place for that. And we can all play nicely together is what I say. And I I kind of always joke and say that, you know, I hate group projects. I was kind of always that person who was like, I'll just do it myself. Um, But healing is a group project. It is a team effort. And so with integrative medicine, it's really about integrating what works best for not only yourself, but also if you are, you know, a practitioner, the person that you're working with, meeting them where they are, not just what you think is best because of just straight, pure research, but sometimes, you know, empirical research is important. Sometimes using different healing modalities, seeing where they are in their wellness journey, science can only go so far sometimes. And then, you know, integrating in things like acupuncture and cupping, and maybe for them, it is herbalism, maybe for them, they are still taking maybe something like a medication but then they want a more natural approach so it's kind of just the idea of playing together with all the different healing modalities that exist so you can kind of live your best life whatever that means to you
0: so so first of all you went over a lot of things there so i'm excited to break those down the first thing that's come into mind is you were talking about integrating the differences of like western philosophy and eastern philosophy which to me i've always kind of viewed it, especially in this world of spirituality versus science, where Western philosophy tends to be more science concrete based, whereas Eastern is more flow, spirit, energetic. So in this meshing, especially in the worlds of medicine, do you find that that analogy kind of holds up where the Western medicine is more structured, it's more pill-based, it's more let's just cut and find out versus the Eastern's a little bit more flowy? Or is that just my perception of it?
1: No, I think that's spot on. You know, Obviously, I think from a very 30,000-foot view, that's probably the easiest way to bucket it. But I think what's important as well is to note that it can be really overwhelming for people. So Sometimes if they just don't feel well, it does help short term to be like, okay, this is potentially why you have X, Y, Z issues going on. And unfortunately in Western medicine, they label it as a quote diagnosis, which I don't love because it's more so generally a range of symptoms or imbalances in the body and not necessarily like you have this problem with you. So it's never fixable where yes, I think, you know, Chinese medicine, Eastern philosophies, all of that does take into account, okay, well, what's going on, you know, on a deeper level, let's get team root cause, right? Like everything can affect anything in the body is kind of what I always say. And especially with Chinese medicine, there is such an emphasis on the emotional side of things because, you know, every organ has uh, a paired emotion and then there's, you know, a sub organ and then, you know, there's colors elements. So I think, that sometimes people aren't always just ready for that though on day one. So science maybe or Western medicine maybe or more A to B, you know, conversations can at least for some people help them feel like for the first time in a very long time that they're finally being heard or seen or understood, or they just have that light bulb moment where they're like, Oh my God, yeah, that makes sense. And then you can go a little bit deeper. Sometimes you meet people who they've already done all of that work. And they're like, yeah, I feel like I get it. I understand mechanism of action in the body i understand the physiological pathways now i want to really kind of like level up or what i call putting in the granite countertop of your health house right like have the solid foundation do all that boring stuff first and then get a gold toilet if you want but you have to (laughs) do the basic boring stuff first
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense and especially in my journey with with diet and nutrition where i've kind of bounced between like i I read the book intuitive eating and they kind of labeled me as professional dieter of (laughs) trying every single diet under the sun and now i'm kind of in that more framework of like well what what feels right what kind of is feels nourishing in this moment and i do believe to your point like you can't it, it feels as though you almost can't go from just eating mcdonald's every day and candy to just okay what feels good because the, your baseline is sugar and candy and processed foods and you know an unbalanced diet, so that's almost what your intu intuition is going to take you towards.
1: Totally, but sometimes people have a hard time with their intuition. Depending on, as I'm sure most of your listeners know, all goes back to childhood stuff: little t trauma, big t trauma. Call it whatever you want, but there's usually some something subconsciously going on, or you know, underneath the waves that is causing us to have these. External, whatever needs or validations that we want. And so for some people, they don't even know how to trust themselves or they don't know what their homeostasis quote North Star is. And so for you, let's say, like maybe you have a better North Star ability because you've tried a lot of things and maybe you've been a bit of a diet agnostic in some sense where it's like, yeah, you try a bunch of stuff on and you see what fits best. And so I do even think that there is a time and a place almost for people to go like balls to the walls and be super extreme if you need to in whatever modality that is, like with dieting, for example, I've seen this a lot in my practice. I did this when I used to do like bodybuilding competitions and things. You go all the way to the edge. So you know what your hundred percent is and you know that obviously we don't want to be at zero, but all of our health is generally on kind of this pendulum, if you will. So in order for you to figure out what your 50%, 70, 80, 90 is, you have to almost be like, yeah, let me try all the things and try it at the most extreme and then see what actually works for me and what my evolving definition of what feels like intuitive or best for me is in alignment, but that I don't think comes as easily to people as it sounds on paper sometimes. And it sounds really nice and like hippy dippy. And I, yeah, like that's great. And like be in the flow and people are like, what does that mean? What's my first step though? Like what's the next logical step for me? So sometimes it's also like, yeah, this theory is great, but how do we actually start to break it down and then integrate it and implement it into our lives that can be sustainable and maintainable and enjoyable.
0: And I think right there's the key of it, right, which is the enjoyable piece. And that's something, you know, I've started noticing in my life, which is, okay, if I don't have the wealth or the, you know, whether it's kind of blanking on things here, whatever it's like being with a girl living where I want to live, you know, wealth, it kind of comes down to just that enjoying the process and enjoying that flow And that seems to be like the crux of any sort of quote unquote manifestation that people might be putting out there or wanting to get. It's that you aren't surrendering to kind of that current process of where you are. And even more so, uh, I kind of got this weird vision whenever you were talking about the North Star. And even in my journey, it's almost like, you know where your North Star is, but five years ago, I would have said you know, it's somewhere between like 120 and 90 degrees in the sky. And like now it's probably like, oh, it's somewhere between like 101 and 102 degrees. And it, and it feels like it's almost this minute now changing. It's like this pendulum was swinging back and forth between 90 degrees and 120. And now it's just swinging between 101 and hundred. And every single time I try something, it's almost just like, narrowing it down and it feels as if that also connects to your granite countertop is that like once you're just doing those minute little changes that's whenever you're kind of putting in that gold toilet
1: I love that you said that because I have been thinking about this so much recently because I think there's been such this rise of you know self-help and higher consciousness and awareness and that's great but also I think sometimes people go too far, too far down that. And then it's almost like taking a break from healing. Like when can we take a step back or integrate? Right. So I think a lot of the goal for people, whether they realize it or not, or eventually when they have that awakening or they finally get it, most of that healing that we're going on is to number one, get back to our most authentic version of ourselves. I think that's truly the goal for a lot of people To your point, though, it's like that changes over time and that oscillates, I think, depending on maybe what you're focused on. But a lot of it is also unlearning things that just don't serve us, or we tried on for a little bit. And it's kind of like, you know, fashion, how it changes where you're like, yeah, this was really cool when I was in sixth grade, and I used to wear white eyeliner. And that was amazing. And then, you know, things come back kind of in full circle, and it becomes back in fashion again. So so much of it is really just, I think, being able to be a bit more graceful with yourself of flowing of like, yeah, trying this on, this fits for a bit doesn't fit anymore. And people really struggle to hold on to things that don't fit them anymore. or they're really just, they're trying all these different things to ultimately just get back to their most authentic self, whatever that means to each individual.
0: This episode of Traveling to Consciousness is brought to you by the official Traveling to Consciousness app, available on the iOS and Google Play Store. On this app, you're going to get exclusive content from articles, to meditations, to anything else that Clayton is gonna put out. Here's the also where you're going to find the only place to find the ad-free versions of the podcast. You're also going to be able to get the podcast at earlier dates than normal, the free release version of it. So, the Traveling to Consciousness podcast app i highly suggest that you download it because it's the only way that i suggest that you listen to it and what's even better is that the company is always making updates so please let me know if you personally have a recommendation and we can get that in there so remember download the traveling to consciousness app so that you can get early releases you can get the video format you can get it ad free and so much more and i think there's a beautiful corollary here with and this was actually a question that I was thinking about before our conversation. I think there's a beautiful corollary here with fad diets, for example. Like, you know, whether it was probably, I don't know, 20 years ago, it was like, you know, low carb or high carb, low fat. And then it became, no, you need high fat, low carb. And it's like, no, now you need to do paleo. It's like, no, now keto is the thing. And then, you know, no, it's carnivore. No, it's veganism. And so if we take this step back from this, and kind of look at it from a, let's say, generic human consciousness perspective, is it, is it almost our collective consciousness coming across these different ways of diet and exercise, and then we all are kind of trying on these different hats? And then I guess also kind of in this question as well is, you know, it comes back to that resistance or dropping the things that aren't working for you. You know, how do you find How do you balance releasing a diet that is no longer serving you in hopes that you can find something that serves you a little bit better? Uh,
1: So anybody who's ever been my client or has followed me knows that I'm a very big proponent of being a nutrition agnostic. Like I don't prescribe to believe in any one thing forever because if it was that simple, then we wouldn't have obesity, the obesity epidemic that we do. We wouldn't have all the diseases of lifestyle that we do, right? Like, And the problem is, especially now with social media and everyone being an expert and a guru is everyone thinks that they're going to just all of a sudden reinvent the wheel or find this new biohack or amazing nutrient. And don't get me wrong, there's really cool research in like specific plant constituents and how they work on enzymes and longevity genes and all that stuff is really cool. But the basic boring stuff, you are never going to be able to biohack your way out of that or, you know, find something that, is not going to poke a hole in it eventually. So like I always tell people, try on all the things because what worked for you a year ago might not work for you now. And what worked for you even a week ago might not work for you now. And I'm also a really big believer in the cyclical nature of things and doing things seasonally, right? Like, so if we look to nature, as most of us, I think should and do, you know, ideally I live in New Jersey. Like I shouldn't really be eating strawberries right now in the middle of the winter. Like, where are they growing? Like, yes, they're coming from California, maybe in are organic, but the point is, is that there's a season for everything and there's a time for everything. So there very well might be a time where Cool. You like keto? Absolutely do it. Do it until it doesn't work anymore is what I tell people. Or when you start not n- not just doing something for, you know, a second and practitioner hopping and doing that because people also need to give time time, but truly being honest with yourself and checking in number 1, how compliant have I actually been, right? So when people say things like, "Oh, well, you know, XYZ doesn't work for me." And then you have to kind of take a step back and say, "Okay, well, compliance equals 70% results, 90% compliance equals 90% results, right? So there's always going to be a level of how honest am I being with myself? And then also what else is going on? Diet is such a small piece of what is going on in people's health. I think for a lot of individuals, it just happens to be the low hanging fruit that they feel they have most control over. And same thing, like I'll die on this hill. You can't out diet your way out of shitty relationships, pro-inflammatory thoughts, bad people, um, you know, f- products that you're washing your face with, what you're cleaning your you know, house with. So there's so much more that needs to go into that conversation just behind the diet. And I think until you address all those other things too, like then... I'm not sure how much it moves the needle. But basically, like I just believe try different things in different times of your life, different lifestyles, different life stages are going to need different nutrients. And then of course, that's the whole conversation of biochemical individuality. So if one diet worked for everybody for your whole life, you wouldn't have the changes that you do that forces people to read the books, and listen to the podcast and everything else because our body and health is you know, always dynamic. And people don't love that answer, because that's not Oh, and I so happen to have a product that fixes this problem that you all of a sudden have, right. So like, it's a lot more work, and you can't just go into a supplement store and take XYZ, you have to like, really be honest and do that work. And it takes a long time. And people just, they don't love to always have to do that and make that kind of, you know, time and energy investment.
0: It's not a sexy answer. Either. It's not a
1: sexy answer. No. I'm not known for my sexy answers. I'm known for my <laughs> brutal honesty because that's, you know, and, and kind of cutting through the BS because, you know, true change happens when you're tired of your own bullshit. I mean, I've, I've been saying that for as long as probably since I've come out the womb. So like, I think a big part of it as well as taking responsibility for what you're still doing or not doing and then just trying to blame it on your diet, like poor, poor nutrition, poor nutritional sciences, you just get all the blame, right? And then you have these zealots out here who are trying to make a whole career by bashing other people who eat a certain way, like, that's not helping anybody ultimately. So I think it's about, yeah, like listening to yourself. And then also, I think also just trying to try new things like being open to trying new things and letting go of that diet that maybe doesn't serve you anymore.
0: For sure. And And I guess this kind of spawned from a little bit of a behemoth of a question and you took the route of explaining it at like the individualistic level, which is super important for sure. I'm curious though, if we walk back to the question, if you've looked at it from like this global perspective of diet, you know, like kind of going back to how there's, um, what was it? Oh, like low carb is it now it's high carb now it's keto now it's paleo. Do you think we'll get to a place like as a human species where we're like, oh, it's it's just one size fits all. We don't have we don't have to go down the carnivore route or you don't have to be vegan and then hate people who are carnivore. You don't have to be paleo and then hate the keto club. Do Do you see that as a potential future for us?
1: No, it's not possible because there's too many contributing factors. I mean, you're like you're where you were born, right? Like this is why certain cultures can have more of a discrepancy to eating certain things or why, you know, you see certain cultures that have certain dietary patterns, right? So like, I just don't think, unfortunately, it will ever be that easy. I think what people should do collectively is look for common denominators, right? So like, what are the common themes that we see among these big, different categories, right? So like, I think we could all agree that, yeah, maybe removing processed garbage sugar would be a good thing. Okay, great. Maybe we could all agree that we should eat more fruits and vegetables. Obviously not if you're a carnivore, that's not going to be for you right but i like i think there's some things we could all agree that we should be drinking more quality water we can all agree that we should be getting better sleep and having cultivating better relationships right like there are some things and then diet unfortunately just there are going to be some individual nuances here and there. But I think it is about trying to find the common denominator among what some of these things have reducing, you know, pesticides, trying to eat organic, right? Like, if you are eating meat, making sure that that's organic as well, not cooking it at really high temperatures. So I think, you know, the short answer is no, or just I I personally, you know, I don't think we're going to get there would be nice, but I don't think it's going to happen. Do you think it's going to happen?
0: I don't know. I mean, Well, so in your answer, it seemed like you were answering if there's just one diet that's going to be for everybody more as like, I was trying to propose that everybody will figure out that they need to find their own diet. Does that make sense?
1: But I don't think that that's possible either because you're going, your body changes, right? Like, and your needs change on a,
0: literally a day-to-day basis. That's kind of my point, right? Like, If if people could just understand that you're this high frequency, multidimensional being that's always changing therefore your diet should always change. Like, like, do you ever see that idea of piercing the majority of people?
1: Oh, yeah, that I thought you were posing it the other way. Like, yes. Do I think that people will eventually understand that? Yes, I do need to figure this out for me and that it's going to be dynamic and fluid. I mean, the optimist in me would say, yes, I hope so. But the reality of seeing people becoming more specialized, quote, in whatever their Field is, or they're an expert in XYZ. I think people are trying to create more and more of these niche markets for whatever reason. So mm. I don't know. Time will tell. Time is always the great, uh, you know, equalizer.
0: Well, and it kind of, it's, it's kind of reminding me of, of truth in a sense, right? Because if, if we kind of start to embody our own truths and become more in tune with the frequency of true, whatever that means for you or me, wouldn't that help us to at least weed out kind of the bullshit that we see within certain ideologies or certain, you know, and I don't want to bash everything. It's not like, oh, it's all carnivores, but it's like, there's a section of carnivores who hate the, pale- or they hate the vegans. And then there's a section of vegans that think if you're a carnivore, there's a spot safe for you in hell. So it, is there maybe this process go- underlying where if we kind of just find our way to truth, we might be able to see through the the mirage or the smoke and mirrors that the nutrition industry has put up for us.
1: It's an interesting question because this is actually where science can be beneficial, because I think what's happening is that people are making it their truth and making it a religion and making it I will die on this hill for X, Y, Z. And it's becoming super Personalized to people. Like it's becoming very emotionally triggering for a lot of people. And that's why I think people get so flared up about it. But I believe, especially like being in the field of research and academia for as long as I have, like a true somebody who really values science can say, listen, I have found research on this side and I have found research on this side. And I understand these are your arguments. These are my arguments. And like it's cool either way, right? Like I don't understand this idea of where this came, this like internet bullying of, okay, it's cool to bash somebody for whatever they want to do. Like if it's not harming me, if it's not harming you, I don't think that that's actually ultimately serving the PR campaign of whatever they're trying to push. So I, to me, it actually feels like disingenuous and untruthful when people are coming out. So like out of the gate being like ripping on other people. I don't understand that. And I think it makes you look ignorant. And I think it makes you look uneducated because you should really be able to objectively assess, like if anybody watched the, I think it was Chris Kresser on the Joe Rogan podcast with, I forget who else he did it, but like, you know, he did a real bang up job of being able to be research literate and say like, cool, I absolutely understand where you're coming from. And I see these, these articles that you're pulling and that's great, but this is also my side. And it's like, at the end of the day, if you're doing what makes you happy and you feel good doing it, cool, like do that. I I really don't understand why this has become such a thing. And I think it's ultimately just doing a disservice to the health and wellness industry, especially in the field of like, you know, nutrition.
0: I feel like it's probably maybe a component of it's probably cultivated from either scarcity or a lack of confidence in what they're either pushing or in you know that ego of wanting to be right and i've been validated by all these people who this diet works for and you've been validated by all these people who the diet works for them you know and so you get into maybe this this place of always being told that what you're saying is correct and never wanting to kind of maybe check yourself at the door of hey just because this works for the people that it was supposed to work for doesn't mean that it's not going to work for other people who it's not supposed to work for
1: Absolutely. Empirical evidence. People ride that till the day they die and confirmation bias. That's why I always tell people too. like, you know, watching a Netflix documentary doesn't make you a scientist all of a sudden. If their if their agenda is pushing veganism or carnivore or whatever, like obviously cherry picking data is a very real thing that exists in the scientific world.
0: So you're going to do that. What was the vegan? There was a vegan documentary that like went pretty viral. And I, I have like a scientific background. What yes. was it? Oh, I kind of don't want to give it the name drop, but yeah,
1: I don't remember because I—I'm sure it was the same for you. If I had a dollar for every person who texted me and was like, "What do you think about this?" and I was like, Yo. "What was the intention of that documentary?" <laughs> I was like, yes. "What was the intention? What the agenda were they pushing?" You know? Oh,
0: oh the director has his own uh, pea protein. Oh, okay. He he has his own plant based food he's selling. Oh, right. Right. right, right. <laughs> but it yeah. but it was interesting because like even the way that they presented all this different information was like complete just it was like cherry picked it was like kind of obscured in the way of like manipulation right it wasn't even like scientific or anecdotal like you know there was like one scene where they had these basketball players and they all ate a burrito and one of them like had meat so the other one was like plant-based and it's like oh look like there's more fat in your blood and and then they're like oh shit like there's more fat in my blood and me, I'm, I, I'm not scientifically based in those regards. So like, I don't even know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. And then they're presenting it as like, oh my gosh, there's fat in your blood. Like, oh, da da, da, da da like I could very easily see that going either way of like being good or bad. And then they did that throughout the entire quote unquote documentary. And I'm just like, like this, this does nobody, this is a disservice to almost everybody listening.
1: So well said. And I think that's unfortunately because we live in this clickbait Instagram, like instant dopamine hit society. Our attention span is shorter than it's ever been kind of thing, right? Like science is even now being distilled into this is the article. And then people will post it on Instagram. And I'm like, did you even read the research study though? Like what kind of study was it? Was it double blind? Was it, you know, a perspective study? How long was it ran? Who funded it? How many participants? Like what was the demographic? And people need to learn to be research literate too. And that's really important. But again, at the end of the day, And this is why I actually love like Chinese medicine and stuff too, because, you know, sometimes there's not research for certain, like sometimes shit just works, right? Like it's been around for thousands of years and whatever, and sometimes things don't work whether there's research or not. So that's why it's like to thy own self be true in Mm -hmm. research, in science and in health. And that's really important because only you know what's best for you. And just because it's good for somebody else doesn't always mean that it's good and healthy for you. But that's where you have to have this level of discernment to say, yeah, if I'm really being honest with myself, when I lay my head on my pillow at night, I want to feel like I belong to a group, which I think goes back, of course, to evolutionary benefits, right? Like we were in tribes, we all know this tale as old as time. So I want to fit in this box of being XYZ, paleo, carnivore, whatever. But if you're like, yeah, I've been doing this and I'm still super bloated and I'm really tired and my skin is breaking out, why would you keep doing that? Right? So there is a level of honesty and discernment that does have to come into play eventually.
0: It's a good point. And this is a question that I've been kind of wrestling with myself. And I, I know this might come across as being kind of anti-scientific, but you know, like I am very scientific, let's say, especially whenever it comes to like physics and particles and the way quantum physics works. But it's interesting to me because something that they've discovered with quantum physics is the observer effect and another name for it being the placebo effect. So we live in a world where the placebo effect is very, very real. So at what level are we able to even trust science whenever, whoever's running the experiment has an internal bias, whether, you know, and I, and this might get, and I want to kind of stay away from getting too far left per se in this conversation. Cause I feel like this might go that way where it's like, Oh, it's just your perception. But it feels to me as though if like internally, I am even the most trying to be unbiased scientist ever runs double blind placebo puts, you know, so much randomization in it. Would I not carry out my own beliefs of well, carnivore works? So subconsciously picking people who are going to be, you know, to validate that answer versus finding people who aren't going to invalidate it. And then even on top of that, if you pick say 500, 5,000 people, how do you know that those 5,000 people weren't pro, like, had the proclivity to be pro whatever diet you're testing? So kind of the general thing is, like, how how can we trust, let's say, scientific studies done on humans whenever the placebo effect is a real thing?
1: Well, I think we're, that's where meta-analyses are helpful because that's also looking at... Mm an average of different studies and the quality of those studies peer reviewed as well, right? So people who are evaluating it that are experts in that field, if they're doing research on, let's say, skin health, they're not going to ask a veterinarian, right? Like, so it's relative to the field. I think that's important. And looking at things longitudinally. So how long has it been going on? If they've really studied 50,000 people for 50 years, right? Like the delay in research coming out to most people is 15 plus years to begin with on a good day. I think you make a lot of really great points on that idea of like placebo and what is this person, you know, like, what are they doing? I don't think that we have like a set answer for that. And obviously with science and the government as all the shit has gone over the past few years. Like I always joke with people. I'm like, we'll never know. Like we are the like placebo-controlled study right now like we don't know we won't know for a really long time so like jokes on everybody and like th- I always had like the the slogan for 2020 was like we'll see you know we don't know we all don't know so it's kind of like I think that there you take it with a grain of salt obviously and then you know I think understanding that there is a little bit level of a higher up if it's something you feel super ardent about or very passionate or whatever like yeah then dig deeper and look for that's why even stuff like research on carnivore and all that, like, no offense, guys, but it hasn't been around that long yet. We have small amounts of research. Is a great quality? I'm not sure. I haven't like dug into it, you know, like as much as you know, I to speak on it, like at a, an expert level. But it's still really new. It's still very much so in the neophyte stages. So I think you know we're even seeing that with things like probiotics, for example. You know, for a while, a lot of the research was like get all the CFUs you can and gut health, gut health, gut health. And now we're realizing like no, it's about the Strains actually, and how specific those can be, and what's going on with a lot of other things. So I, I think you have to take a step back as well and be like, okay, how long has this topic even been studied for? At what quality? With like what degree of a microscope, if you will? So again, meta analyses, peer reviewed, that kind of stuff. And then we still don't really know. You know, like we're still never going to fully know. So that's just sort of the you know asteries with the field of science. I feel
0: well because personally, it's, no, I mean it's it's completely valid. And, and it even just kind of brings up in me this idea of, you know, viewing the humanity, like a human level consciousness, right? Like, like at some level, we all have collective beliefs that we hold to be true, right? Like for instance, humans can't fly, like just hypothetically. Right. And like, there's these things that we just abstractly hold true. Now, who knows? Maybe in a thousand years, we'll break through that level of consciousness and humans will be able to actually fly. But it's a little bit of a <laughs> nuanced conversation. Where I but guess we'll I'm,
1: see, right? Like, we'll see. Uh,
0: you know, I maybe like if we find a way to use our brains to, I don't know, teleport or. You know, there's people who get all their nutrients by just looking at the sun every day. So
1: if Elon Musk wants to make it happen, it'll happen. (laughs) When he wants to fly, we'll fly
0: when it's up to him. totally. (laughs) And I I guess where I'm trying to go with this is going back to like the, the study conversation is. If it was true at one point, it doesn't mean that it's going to be true now or in the future. So it kind of sets up this weird paradigm of you know, how do you know what to believe, which maybe brings it back to what we were talking about earlier, where figure out what's true, like figure out what that frequency of truth is to you. And then almost, okay, there's a new fad diet. Well, let me try it for a week or two. Okay. Do I feel better or worse? Oh, I feel worse. Then let me just drop that. That's for someone else. And then kind of have that iterative process as new ideas or diets or routines or exercises or sleep or cold plunges come up into the human consciousness. This episode of Traveling to Consciousness is brought to you by Conscious Technologies, LLC. Talk about an aligned company name. This company creating technology that will revolutionize the way that humanity is able to resonate or vibrate with the electromagnetic frequency of your phone, of your Wi-Fi router, of the light bulbs in your house, of really anything. What they do is they have created these amazing minerals, amazing units that you can either place on the back of your phone, you can wear it as a necklace, or they even have like little in-house generators, if you will, that can unify the entire field of an entire house. I've experienced these things in person and I unequivocally can tell you that it does something and it helps you feel more present more calm, and more connected to the spiritual dimension, if you will. And I highly recommend that you also check out episode number 034, where I actually talked to one of the co-founders and it, it blew my mind away. One of my favorite episodes where we actually get into how he creates it, why it's created. And, you know, if this wasn't enough of a sell for you, go check out that episode, because I know that it will sell you after that. Conscious Technologies LLC, harmonizing the planet one person at a time.
1: Absolutely. So well said. I mean, th- and I, again, like back to my original point of like build as big of a toolbox as you can. Science is a tool. Le- learning to listen to yourself is a tool. Cold plunges are a tool like they're all tools. And if you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Right. So it's mm. about developing more tools for when you don't need a hammer at a certain stage of your life, you need something else. And that's where you can lean back on that. And again, have the foundation that like, cool, this is my jumping off point. I, I see this a lot, even when people first get into this, like, okay, I want to feel better wellness space, whatever. And they're inundated with so many different you know, viewpoints and philosophies and beliefs. Because again, at the end of the day, everybody's version of their truth to your point is their truth. It's totally subjective, right? So like you are always filtering things through your own lens of what's been going on your whole life and how you've interpreted things and how you felt things and how those feelings have been subjective to you. So there's always going to be a little bit of bias and a grain of salt. So, like, that's important to remember. So, even that, just like figuring out what do I even like? Like, what kind of modalities am I into? If I really like the biohacking space, let me follow some of the top people in biohacking that I'm going to only listen to maybe one to three for now so I don't get overwhelmed. I'm going to listen to all of that objectively and then I'll find common denominators there. It's like when I was learning to cook focaccia bread, I remember I was like, I watched. 12 different YouTube videos from anywhere, everywhere from like a Nona straight up in like the South of Italy to like a bro in Brooklyn. And all of the videos, I was like, okay, this one said this and this one said this. And I found common denominators amongst the videos that they all let the dough sit for this amount of time, or these people used this kind of flour or these people, right? Like, so it's about, I think doing that too. And then Keep a lot of this health is the distilling down process of like, okay, where am I currently? And always checking back in and assessing and awareness. Where am I currently on my health journey? What do I need more or less of? How am I currently feeling? Like, where do I want to get to? What's not working for me anymore? What worked really well? And that, a lot of that, again, is not. There's not a five-minute fix for that. There's not a supplement for that. There is not a 12-week shred program for that. So unless you're really willing to be fully committed to this lifelong journey of healing, you're going to keep looking for the new shiny object for the rest of your life, and that's going to ultimately not bode the results that you're truly intending to get.
0: So then how long, right, if there's a new shiny object and we consider integrating in our diet or our regimen or our routine... How long of a testing period do you usually give that? Is it like some of them you might feel instantly within a 30 minutes? Like, oh, I probably shouldn't eat that ever again. Or there's probably some things where you might test it like a month or so. Have you been able to see with the clients or certain people where that average usually lies of knowing if something is good or bad for you or maybe I'm good there- or bad increases or decreases, you know, your baseline health?
1: Yeah, I think at bare minimum, two weeks is a really solid jumping off point. Like if you could do anything for two weeks and like really give it a go. I mean, think about gyms who give away like a 14 day free trial. Most people aren't even showing up for those 14 days consecutively in a row. Mm. So if you can consecutively 100 percent, percent—not nothing's ever 100 percent. So 99.8 percent show up at the level that you're really intending to commit to for two solid weeks. That is like the bare, bare minimum. In an ideal world, I would say 90 days probably gives you a better overall assessment of what's going on. Um, And a happy medium would probably be four to six weeks.
0: Okay. That sounds like a pretty solid time frame to try stuff out.
1: Yeah. And I mean, to your point, it depends too. Like, yeah, if I'm trying to figure out a food allergy, if I eat a peanut and my face blows up, I'm not going to keep doing that for two weeks, right? Like probably not going to be, let's use some deductive reasoning, right? Yeah. But if, it's something that's gonna, yeah if it's something that's going to take a little bit more time or, you know, what I tell people a lot too, is you have to meet yourself where you are. You know, if it took you six months to dig yourself into a hole, you're not getting out of it in 14 days. It's just not happening, right? So you have to give time time on the healing journey and also pay attention to secondary benefits that could be occurring as well. So let's say your main goal is weight loss. Okay. You didn't gain 10 pounds like this again, tail as old as time in 14 days kind of thing, unless you're willing to you know, starve yourself and go on this crazy, whatever. So in the meantime, while time is passing and you're actively participating in cultivating your best life, Like, what else is improving in your life? Non-scale victories. Like, are you sleeping better? Or does your skin look better? Is your sex drive better? Like, so I think it's also having kind of that primary big picture thing is important too of like, yeah, this is my main problem that I think. And it's usually never even the main problem. Like there's always, it's like emotions, right? There's a primary emotion and a secondary emotion. So there's always a main problem that you think it is. And it's really never that once you start like scratching the surface. So it's like, okay, what else can I also focus on and give myself praise for because a lot of it as you've probably seen too it's about gaining positive momentum like it's hard Mm -hmm. to change even when you want to change like there's the analogy of somebody who goes into to buy a car when they want to buy a car and they still don't even leave that day buying a car so you think you're going to sell somebody who's riding their bike to work every day to go and buy a car today like Absolutely not. You have to kind of, you know, like romance yourself, if you will, on whatever relationship you're cultivating, whether that's a relationship with food, whether that's a relationship with the gym, a relationship with yourself, with your, you know, self-talk. I mean, they're all relationships and pillars of relationships are all the same. Like there has to be reciprocity and respect and according phase and time and energy and listening and, you know, editing and updating. So like, it's it's really important to give some space to that time that's occurring.
0: It's well put. And I'm, I'm noticing kind of that we are mostly sticking on the diet aspect at this point. So if we were going to take a step back for a sec, you know, you're a holistic lifestyle coach. So whenever somebody comes to you, is diet the first thing that you look at or how do you... Like, guess, walk people through assessing their life of whether it's their environment, their friendships, their significant other, their diet, their exercise, their routine, how do you even start if someone has no clue what they're doing or why they're doing it? How do you even like, where do you even begin? Because I mean, myself at this point, like, you know, so many things have just stacked up on top of my itself where, you know, I can tell you the things I do, but I don't necessarily know the why. So kind of where is that starting point for people who are just starting out?
1: So by the time most people find me, they are at their health wits end. They have tried everything. They've done everything. They spend $10,000 on functional tests, blah, blah, blah. They've seen every doctor, every expert, every practitioner, And they don't know what else to do. So most of the time, I'm really not getting very novice people. Younger in my career, Mm -hmm. absolutely. I think I worked a lot more with people and the nutrition side of things. But now that's just something that doesn't actually even excite me. And I don't really work with people because it really is such a small part of what needs to be worked on unless it's something that's deeper, like they have disordered eating or they have a poor relationship with food and so on and so forth. So I don't really get a whole lot of that. If people come to me for that, like I'm not writing a meal plan. I'm not writing your macros. Like I just don't do that. I don't subscribe to it. There's other people who are experts at that. So by the time people come to me, I always joke, I'm like, as a nutritionist, I talk about nutrition probably 5% of the time, if that, that's probably being
0: generous.
1: (laughs) Because it is a low-hanging fruit. Again, it's never really about the food. It's just what people think that they can control the easiest. They think that. And at the end of the day, I think most people could agree, like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't like slam a pizza every single night 7 days a week like or maybe if I have an option between, you know, potato chips and like a real potato, a real potato might be like right like so I make I make a joke of it but like I think there are some things that we could all come to agree on nowadays that people kind of, you know, intrinsically know. So a lot of what I do is help people unlearn habits that don't really serve them anymore and what is going on at the root cause level and where that interconnectedness is, right? Because anything affects everything in the body. So before anybody even works with me, number one, we always chat on the phone because it's a symbiotic relationship for both people involved. And I tell people like, again, per our like conversation we just had, any relationship needs to be mutually beneficial. So like I'm energetically giving a lot to the person that I'm working with and it needs to be a fit for everybody involved. So it's it's like people do the same thing with therapists or again, like a friendship or a romantic partner. It has to be a fit. And so I think that's sometimes also where people get frustrated. If you go to a practitioner where they're pushing their agenda or they feel really passionately about X, Y, Z and you don't, it's gonna be, it's gonna feel like a struggle and it's gonna be just like a mismatch and it's not gonna work long-term. So that's first. Second, after we both agree, like, cool, this is a good fit. We think we're going to work well together. Everybody starts with a very, very thorough intake form process. My clients will uh, definitely agree that they probably hated it at the time, but it's really thorough for a reason. And I ask a lot of the same questions in different ways because it allows them to see, again, self-assessment of where have I been lying to myself and bullshitting myself and where are their themes, again, common denominators, buckets in my life. So I ask questions about you know, stress, emotionships, relationship, liver, adrenal glands, you know, what's going on with your bowel movements, sleeps. Yeah. I ask what's going on with your diet, supplements, herbs, like we get into all of it. And our first session is the deepest dive. If you've had lab work done, blood work, we, and we're always looking at common denominators, how things are trending and where there are similarities and kind of what the health hierarchy is of that. Because again, you might have 30 things going on, but if, you know, in your stress bucket, if 90 things are showing up on your intake form and your nutrition, like you're worried about the salad dressing you're using, we're not going to start there. So I think it's also prioritizing and creating sort of that health hierarchy. And we start from there. And then every week we kind of focus on, cool, we said we were going to discuss these next 10 things, but week one, we're just doing one or two things. And here's your homework. Like I give homework assignments to all my cl- my clients. That's the kind of student I was where I want an actionable item because it's overwhelming to people. For so sure. I'm like week one, we're doing this and we're only doing these two things. And then, you know, in the middle of the week, there's always an emotional component I found with a lot of people. So there's always a prompt a mental health prompt we're working with something for them to reflect on something for them to talk to either themselves or a voice memo if you're into journaling whatever and so a lot of it is really just helping people unlearn break rules that they somewhere along the way form or adopted um and then really just again making it enjoyable for where they are in their current stage of their life like The biggest thing is I feel like people have health guilt these days where they're seeing so many people, like I see this with people's morning routines all the time, and they feel guilty because they should be doing this 90-step routine in the morning and being blessed by a shaman and doing yoga and journaling and being a good mom and making breakfast. And I'm just like, who has the time, right? Like, and then they feel bad when they can't maintain that for longer than five days. So it's also meeting people where they are and allowing, just giving them space to be like, you're doing a great job. Like the fact that you're even doing this, right? So sometimes people just... Need permission to be like, cool, I don't feel crazy because this I understand now the connecting correlating dots, but I also understand like this is how I can make it sustainable and maintainable and doing a slow drip approach to things not only that you're adding into your life, but things that you're taking out. Because the unlearning process for a lot of people can be just as arduous, if not more difficult than adding new things in. People are so quick to just add in a new supplement, add in a new routine, add in a new whatever. And it's like a lot of it is really health subtraction, removing things slowly, And then while that's happening, it's that like recalibrating process the whole time. So it's like a little bit of a dance, you know, like one step forward, two steps back. And we kind of just rinse and repeat that as we dig deeper. Because again, they may have said session one, oh, I thought it was my adrenal glands. And we get into it and, you know, they have really poor boundaries and they have, you know, negative self-talk and they have pro-inflammatory thoughts. And that's actually affecting everything else that's going on in their body. And so we kind of just build on that um, every week.
0: It's interesting because what was actually, there were two things that were going through my head. Okay, well, I forgot one of them. The other one is one of the and I picked this up from Dr. Jordan Peterson. He there's a clip that keeps getting shared around. of him saying like, if you don't know what to do with your life, like sit on your bed and literally ask yourself, like, what's the one thing I'm not doing that I should be doing? And you'll have an answer. And it's crazy because I do that and I have an answer, but then I'm always like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) It's like, yeah, that's because like that's the thing you should be doing that you're not doing. So I'm curious, like in that when you're doing that outtake form, do people kind of fill it all out? And then in your first session, they're like, I know what I should be doing. Like I I don't know if I even need to kind of go through with this because I have just written out everything that I know that like now that I've put everything I'm doing on paper, I can see where I need to take this direction.
1: No, quite the opposite. They feel so overwhelmed that they're just like, whoa, I didn't realize that this was such a problem in my life. I don't even like, how do I fix this now? Or where do I start? Because then they see like, okay, I have all these opportunities to fix X, not fix, but you know what I mean? Like they think fixing shift. or whatever or work. Yeah, shift, work on this, whatever. And so they kind of feel, well, where do I start? It's like, you know, having mm. all the options. It's like packing for a trip. You're like, I have my whole wardrobe in front of me. What am I going to pack on this trip for this current destination? Right. And That is where people, and I think even if you know what you want to do, there's such power in having a coach or accountability or somebody you know who you can bounce ideas off of, especially because I also get people who are very well educated, they probably could school me on some stuff. And I always tell people, like, listen, I work with an acupuncturist, like, I see a naturopath, like, because sometimes you're too far in it yourself. If you're in the burning building, you can't feel that you're getting burnt in it sometimes so you need somebody to objectively pull you out this is why people go to therapy a lot is because they want to objectively not hear the opinion from a friend or their mother or somebody who has emotional stake in the game Mm. where it's somebody who's and they maybe feel like they can share more than they have where they can't do that with their partner per se or maybe they're embarrassed about it right like some of the deep dark secrets that come up in that stuff where there's shame and guilt and these emotions that are just really misunderstood that it's a lot of that is like uh, that unpacking process and the accountability part of being like, yeah, I know I need to do this. It's like having a workout buddy where you're like, I signed up for 6am Pilates. Like, and I told my friend I would go look like a dick if I don't go. So I have to, right? So if you're paying money you're investing time and energy and finances into something, I would imagine that it kind of holds your feet to the fire a little bit more and that you just Maybe care a little bit more, even if you don't psychologically or subconsciously, you think like, well, I kind of have to do this because I signed up. So I Mm -hmm. think it's quite the opposite of what I found with people or again, because they actually finally get so excited that they are like, wow, nobody has ever put that together for me. Or a lot of the times I actually get people who say, this is the first time I feel like I've ever being listened to. So many people just want to feel heard and seen and have a space held for them, especially when they've been doing so much of this, trying to heal and fix everything on their own. It gets really draining financially, energetically, emotionally, and they just want to feel like they're not going crazy and that somebody gets them and you're just like, yeah. Yeah absolutely. Like your feelings are valid and that's, and there's so much weight in that. And that I think sometimes can carry people through when they know what they need to do and they don't always do what they have to do.
0: Yeah. That seems like something that is kind of lost in today's society. And that, that idea of like holding space for people or being able to just listen and maybe not even, I definitely know this comes up in romantic relationships, but you know, if (laughs) and traditionally speaking, it's usually the girl who brings it to the guy where they'll kind of just start complaining about stuff. And I know traditionally guys are like, all right, let me fix it. All right, let me help. But even sometimes it's just like they just want to vent. They just want to get shit off their chest and like just just be heard, right? Just to have that space to just kind of vent their thoughts to the wind and just, you know, they they're not they either almost know the solution or they're not really looking for a solution and just want to be heard. And so I do find it very fascinating that that's even something that kind of comes up in your, I guess, I I guess I'm not too shocked by it, but it it definitely makes sense that it's something that comes up in your line of work. And I even know more so where it, it, there's this weird thing, I think where just because like, you almost can't hear it sometimes if you're too close to the person, like if, if, if you're in a romantic relationship, it's a family member, you know, and, and they could be telling you the answer, but, You're either not ready for it or just because it's that person, it like doesn't connect with you. But then, you know, once you're in a more professional setting and you're paying this person, it's almost like just that small dynamic switch. they say the same exact thing that your significant other was saying. But yet now you get it because it's uh, someone else in a professional setting relaying the information instead of somebody who you have an emotional attachment to.
1: Or there's a level of honesty there that, like, I, you know, it's like when your girlfriends or boyfriend, like, whatever, guy friends, you're venting to each other. There's three sides to every story, right? His side, her side, and the truth. Mm. And it's the idea of, like... Okay, what would you really say if this wasn't your mom or your friend, right? Like you're always leaving out some detail or like, okay, how did you really participate there or what was your role there, right? And when we're telling our side of the story, we're not always doing that. So even if their answer on the on the, you know, the side where they're hearing it, their intention is pure or whatever, you're maybe not being fully honest because you don't want to come off in a certain way, right? And so like I think that that is definitely part of it. And then, you know, I always joke like, oh, well, once I told my mom, like she hates you, like, you know, in a dating sense, like joking, I'm like, and now I can't go back kind of thing. Like then there becomes anytime I would go to her to vent about something, I already know how she feels. So it's like, I don't feel like I can open up in the way because I already know she doesn't approve and doesn't like, like it. Right. So I think that happens too. And maybe you've went and, Quote, cry wolf to some of your friends, and they're sick of hearing about it, or they don't understand it, or they feel like your problems aren't, you know, big in comparison to what they have going on because they're raising a, two kids and their marriage and, you know, whatever. And so people, I think, you know, disva- devalue sometimes what we're going through. And like, you're the only person who can really put a value on that. So I think that objectivity and having that third party is really, you know, important for like everybody involved.
0: Right. To have just that extra uh, like ears or set up something, something I'm interested. You talked about this and quick shout out to Christina, the channel rice, because you, that was the podcast that I came across that I found you on. And in that podcast, and this is kind of sticking on the realm of relationships as well. You guys had touched on, and we can go deep dive into this, but I'm going to ask from my perspective. First, you guys talked about how with like birth control that Mm -hmm. it can completely mess up a female's hormones so much to the fact that you know once they they get in a relationship they're on they're on birth control they get married they're on birth control now they want to have kids they get off birth control and then they're completely anti their husband my question comes in is as a guy is there an appropriate way is there an appropriate way you've seen to ask a girl if she's on birth control without insinuating the ill intent not ill intent but you're
1: not coming off like a creep Yeah I think it's, I mean, you got to know your audience, right? Like, so I don't know for me, if a guy brought that up to me, I'd be like, are we getting married? Because you want (laughs) to talk about the neurobiology, you know, like, so I don't know. I think obviously there has to be a little bit of know your audience, right? Um,
0: This episode of traveling to consciousness is brought to you by mushy love. Mushy love is a latte type blendable mushroom, caffeine free elixir. That honestly tastes like a liquid cinnamon roll. And I know that you're going to find that on their website, but it's honestly true. It's stacked with more than twice the amount of mushrooms as any other mushroom latte. And I know that there's one in particular that we all think about, which kind of starts with the word mud. But this one blows that one out of the water. I highly highly recommend if you even try that one to just give this one a shot and i promise you that you will not you will not be sorry because i just uh it's so good it's honestly so good and i want to get to a place where i can actually just they send me these all the time for free so please go and buy it because if you buy more then they'll start sending me more and it's just honestly a win-win because it tastes amazing like even in water so even if you're cutting even if you don't want to like put milk in or coffee with it you can just do it plain in water and it's so freaking good guys go click the sponsors link below scroll down to mushy love buy your pack today remember promo code clayton promo code i can't even talk right now promo code clayton at checkout for 10 percent off your purchase mushy love mushrooms shouldn't have to taste like mud give yourself some mushy love
1: so if there's somebody who's really not into that at all like and that's not their jam then i don't even know might fall on deaf ears kind of thing right um but i think with any relationship obviously honesty is always going to be the best policy so you might say like yeah. Like what's going, if you're getting more intimate and you're going to be engaging in that kind of stuff, maybe you say like, what's your version of, you know, fertility awareness or how do you, you know, track your cycle? Are you doing fertility awareness method? Are you using something like birth control? I think that can at least open up the gateway to having that conversation if they're open to that. Um And then see kind of where it goes from there. I don't know. But I also think, like, if you're worried, I have this internal battle with myself a lot about like romantic relationship stuff of like, yeah, but if I'm worried to say something, then that tells me that I'm like not being my authentic self. Obviously, again, it depends on the conversation. But like, you know, when you're thinking second thinking, like a text, like, should I say this or should I put haha or not? And I'm just like, dude, I'm going to send it. And if they don't like who I am, then that's just too bad. And it's best that I find this out now. So, Obviously, that's honestly,
0: that's one of the most liberating feelings in the world, by the way. Just yeah, like, like it. It. it's a
1: fast forwarded version of it. I'm like, if you're going to think that I'm weird because like, I don't want to put this kind of stuff in my body or because I do this or because I have crystals in my living room or what, like then we're not in alignment anyway. And it's better for everybody to just know that from the jump. So it's kind of like you're delaying sometimes, you know, like this conversation is going to happen. So like, let's just do it now. You know, let's rip off the band-aid now. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And if it, everything bleeds out, then it was supposed to bleed out. So it was, just it was supposed past it. to
1: bleed out. Yeah, exactly. We'll just
0: move past it. Um, so another thing that you were talking about earlier, you were talking about how if you're, a hammer's, that's a great expression. If a hammer is the only tool you have, then everything looks like a nail. What are some tools that you have given or usually will recommend to people that have helped them completely change their perspective on health nutrition and lifestyle as a whole?
1: Well, first things first, I think it's trying all the different tools, right? Like, you don't know that you don't like vanilla ice cream until you've had vanilla ice cream. So, you don't know. And, but with that being said, there are certain things like I'm a really big proponent of acupuncture, cupping. I really love that. That's not going to work in one session. So, that kind of goes back to our conversation of like, giving time time of like, okay, well, how long do I have to try this? And what is the reason or the intention behind why I'm doing it? So actually something I make a lot of my clients do in one of their very first sessions, one of their first homework assignments is I call it their anti-stress list. And so I make them write a list to start. It's like a living, breathing document of 10 things that, you know, I want a couple of things on there that are like super reach. Like you're going to Peru with your best friend and you're going to do like a wellness retreat. And it's like the chances of that happening, super dismal, right? And then have some really small things on there. Like I've had my eye on this new coffee shop and I want to go there and that's a date I'm going to have with myself. Or I said I was going to rewatch this show on Netflix or whatever it is. So writing out this whole list of things, because that, that list starts as the basis of your Toolkit, if you will. That's like your starter kit of like, okay, I don't really know what tools I like yet. So maybe on your list, you put like, I'm going to go take a hike. Like I'm going to walk, you know, by the beach for 20 minutes. And you might realize from that, that planted a seed to be like, oh, I really like spending time in nature. What else can I do in nature? I'm going to sign up for a triathlon. Right. So mm-hmm. it's kind of always about following that string down too. So I think starting with a list like that of What can I do to kind of make me feel a little bit better? Or like if I have a, I call it like your shit day protocol, like things that can kind of bring you back into feeling, you know, more in alignment or feeling better or or what have you. And then from there, I think it's anything that makes you feel good. Like crying is a tool, right? Like crying on your floor and starfishing, that can totally be a tool in there. Um, Listening to loud music getting, you know, wearing colors that make you feel good, buying a crystal, going, going to acupuncture, um, using different herbs that work well with your body, calling a friend, right? So I think even on your own toolbox list, there's even a sliding scale with that where, so for example, like acupuncture, maybe that's like the top level tool. I don't build, so I don't know what a good brand of tools is, but maybe that's whatever the, whatever gold platinum package of a tool. And then you have something that's like a little bit, like lesser, where it's again, it's, you know, parking my car a little bit further away, and I'm going to walk or I'm going to listen to uh, Abraham Hicks, you know, rampage in the morning, or I'm going to learn how to do a new hairstyle tutorial, right? Because what we see is a lot of the times this is where people do overly rely on external things, right? They think if I get this job, this boyfriend, this shirt, this whatever, I'll feel better. And what we're ultimately chasing, as you know, is The feeling. So, what's my intention behind me wanting to do this thing? And what are some other ways that I can get this feeling? So, I think anything can be a tool that you feel is going to get you closer into alignment with the feeling that you're ultimately trying to cultivate. So, just keep an open breathing list and writing down anything. Think back retrospectively like, when was the last time I felt really good? What was I doing? What was I wearing? What was I listening to? What was I drinking? Who was I with? Like, All of those things. How did I start my day? What time did I wake up at? Like, literally go back and do this log and really take time to be intentional about it and just write down everything and do a brain spill of sorts. And then from there, you can kind of start to bucket that into other things. And that can, over time, be your toolbox. And then eventually, you'll like own a whole warehouse. And that's great. And then you can share that with your homies.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point because then you can kind of try different things when you feel certain ways in order to shift the way you feel in certain moments of the day. And what am I thinking of? Oh, no, that's
1: so true though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, it would be great to just have a running list of, okay, whenever I'm feeling depressed, let me try this. Let me try that. And then you can even just like assign a number value to it. One out of 10 of how well it actually got you out of depression. Okay. I'm feeling guilty. What gets me out of feeling guilty? And it kind of can be that like automatic shift into like the next, that next overdrive, that next, you know, enlightened or blissful or joyful feeling that you can almost get to simultaneously. And I know for a while, one of my favorite things to do was like just to jump up and down like hands overhead like I just scored the winning touchdown of the Super Bowl that yeah that really pivoted and changed my life whenever I just realized like okay let me just do that and then set my intention for what I want to accomplish and it it would it would like fly by it was crazy how effective that was
1: that is why it's such a bummer to me sometimes that I see these people and usually it's positioned in a way like okay, like you have, let's say you're um, millions of dollars, right? And you're pushing this product or this biohack or this lifestyle or whatever it is. Like, you know, I saw an art, I made it actually a reposted on Instagram. It was like, uh, some celebrities, it was like their, their facialist nine tips for glowing skin. And I was like, it's called being a celebrity. There's that meme about, you know, like how Oprah stays stress-free it's called like being a millionaire. Right. So <laughs> it's also this idea of very like valuing things that are not super sexy or that You can do that are free. Like, I always joke and say that I'm going to open a rage institute one day where you can like rage clean. And like, they have those things where you can, you know, break things. Or to your point, it could be jumping up and down, it could be literally screaming in your office. I mean, that's good for your vagal like tone. I mean, it doesn't have to always be this 10 star wellness yoga retreat with a shaman blessing you and giving you tea. And people think that that's where it has to go. And it's like, what's good in my now and where can I build momentum off of that and do something that is small, that's going to have a really positive ripple effect. Like sometimes the smallest pebbles move the biggest boulders and people just don't, always value that and that is such a bummer again i think that part part of that goes back into this like everyone's comparing game and everyone thinks it has to be day in the life vlog and blah 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 and it's like yeah sometimes you could just call your mom crying if i had a dollar for every time i called my mom crying on a bench when i had like squirrels judging me in the middle of a park i mean you know like and then i would feel squirrels, really good about squirrels it.
0: judging you what, what drugs oh God, are we such- doing
1: such judgy squirrels. I don't know. Some of the towns I've—it's li- like a running joke in my family. I think it's because <laughs> they know that I like—I've like beef with them or something. So they're always like judging me or whatever. But I mean, to your point, wait, is like you actual, know,
0: wait—is this actual beef with squirrels? Like do they come up and fight you or something?
1: No, I've just lived in these towns where I have these really cheeky squirrels. Like this one, like this one town I lived in it was called Ocean Grove. Like I would send pictures to my family because they would like literally. Take pizza out of the trash can from my neighbors and like sit there and like make eye contact with you and eat pizza like they were just wild and feral. So it's just kind of like a running <laughs> joke with my family, but whatever. It might be judging you, might be a random person walking by. People are also so afraid of that. Of like, you know, let's say you're going somewhere and you're having a really rough go at it, and you start like crying in the middle of Starbucks or something. Like, okay, you're not gonna die. Like, not, you're not gonna hurt other people. Like, it's fine to also just like do what you need to do kind of in that moment to feel that release. But that's why it is so important to cultivate such a lengthy list because I think we've all been there. Like you're having a bad day and you put on that song that usually puts you in a good mood and you just can't get into it for some reason. So you're like, okay, what else can I do? You know, Mm -hmm. and if you don't have that, what else can I do list? Then that's when people can start to shame spiral and kind of gain, you know, all of our thoughts gain momentum all the time. So it's like, how do we gain momentum in a positive manner.
0: Yeah. And kind of stop those. Well, maybe not stop, but almost embrace those negative, not even negative, but lower feelings or emotions more quickly. Cause that's, I mean, something that's huge. I mean, it comes up in atomic habits, but even more, I mean, so many books reference it, even the Bible it's, you know, Jesus says those who have some more shall be given those who have none all shall be taken. And it's literally that it's literally the once you get that momentum going, it's going to keep going until you either divert it or, you know, pull away. And that's really something that I kind of dove into more whenever it came to, you know, stress or anxiety or, you know, those lower frequencies, because I'm sitting there like I can't and this is where it could become a catch 22 is that you sit there like I can't let this keep going because then momentum is going to build. But it's almost taking those emotions and giving it either love or nourishment or whatever it is it's seeking and to realize that it's just kind of a part of it it's like oh okay like you know this is going to pass like it will kind of get past it and so it becomes this almost dance of like embracing it realizing it but then being able to shift it into either a creative energy or a more positive alignment energy
1: totally i mean I actually did my whole dissertation on anxiety and you know the neural pathways involved. I was going to ask these. you
0: what you you did, so this is perfect. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but so after that, I actually created a course off of my dissertation called "Befriending Anxiety." Because to your point, all of these quote bad emotions that people who maybe are not on this you know consciousness, higher awareness, maybe they label it as a bad emotion and not necessarily you know um, something that's serving them or out of alignment or lower frequency. So you know, all emotions serve a purpose and all emotions are like, it's like the weather. That's kind of the analogy I always give. Like you don't get mad because it's raining out or just because it's raining out and you're mad about it doesn't mean it's going to stop. It's information. It says, oh, the last time that it was raining out, Uh, that told me that I should maybe bring a jacket, right? So it's about befriending it and figuring out, like, what is this actually trying to tell me? What is the primary emotion here? What's the secondary emotion? What is the feeling that's associated with the emotion? Because feelings and emotions are different things, are actually different parts of the brain as well. How is this impacting my behavior and mood? What am I trying to learn here? How have I participated? So there's so much more than just blaming it of saying, this is a motion and I don't like it. Right. And so like, it's really about sitting with that and befriending ones that we feel most uncomfortable with. And again, back to the context of relationships, it's why you vibe with certain people from a friendship level even or not, because there's like this, yeah, we like kind of are on the same level about X, Y, Z or whatever. And then, you know, people will say things like, oh, I don't know about that guy. Like, I just got to give it some time. I have to warm up to it. I have to learn a little bit more. And then sometimes those people end up becoming like, some of your greatest friends or some of your greatest teachers. You were just, they were really new to you and very like you didn't understand them and you couldn't figure them out and you couldn't put them in a box so you automatically you were like oh I don't like this because I don't know how to manipulate it or it doesn't feel mm-hmm. comfortable and our emotions are so much like that as well we just don't always understand what they're trying to do and the quicker that we just actually embrace them let them into the door and say like all right what is what are you trying to tell me here like what's going on what's up the quicker they'll be able to leave or pass or kind of you know you can move through it and i think that that's really important to sit and befriend the emotions that you don't always love because they're generally some of the biggest, you know, and best teachers that we'll have in this life curriculum that we are all enrolled in.
0: Yeah. And the the thought that's coming to mind that I've always kind of been proposed with is whenever I've been in those states of shame, guilt, fear, whatever, is that it's like society's default programming is to almost numb them, whether it's through medication or alcohol or, you know, drugs, whatever you have. And I find that to be so fascinating as like, you know, I remember, I think I was in, I was still in San Diego at the time and a girl did a questionable thing. And like, I brought it up to one friend of mine and he's, and like, it's, it was one of those things where like, she could have plausible deniability, but like, we all knew, you know, what was going on and it, it, you know, it hurt. And so my buddy's immediate reaction was like, "Oh, dude, like, I know how you're feeling. Like, take a shot. You'll feel better kind of deal. And I remember sitting there with that, like physically, yes, I'll feel better, but then I'm l- releasing the potential to learn from this emotion or from this state, because then if I don't learn from it, it's just going to be the next girl that does the same exact thing. So why not sit there with this feeling that I don't like to learn from it so that I don't find myself in this same predicament in the future?
1: Yeah. And that goes back to the, you know, what you resist persists, but that also goes back to the adage of like, wherever you go, there you are. And so many times we just are repeating lessons in another location or another person or just another iteration of that, because we're the ones that we have to take responsibility and say, well, how did I participate in that? I allowed that for as long as I did. Like I attracted that in on some level and it's just so much easier for people to say like, well, they were a shitty person or they did that or that's a shitty emotion. I don't want to deal with that. And that's not going to necessarily change or evolve anything. Like, if you want to get to that root cause or again, evolve and transmute that into something different, then you need to sit with it and take responsibility for like, how have I allowed this in my life? And that goes back to that whole like change happens when you're tired of your own bullshit, which is why we just kind of recreate the patterns and the cycles and all that, because it's this familiar hell as opposed to this unfamiliar heaven. And much people would much rather prefer this familiar hell. And they're just like, yeah, well, I know it's going to suck here. And this is when I start to fall back into this pattern. And, you know, you can follow that. And your brain kind of likes that, too, because it's almost it's it's sort of the same way as why people go back with gambling. It's like, well, I almost could win and I almost got that hit, right? And so dopamine works in reward and anticipation as well. So people do that in situations where they think, they anticipate that it's going to be different and it's not. And that's what keeps people stuck in these patterns too. So it's really important to identify like, what was my role in this and allowing that? But that's an ugly process. People don't want to do that. People don't want to look in the mirror and you're like, wow, I was really toxic in that way in that relationship for a while too. Whether And again, people always bucket relationships into romantic and I I, am such a believer in that any relationship whether it's your relationship with a client you have again a coworker, professional whatever like it's all the same foundations and the basis and like they all have the same principles so you need to make sure that you're always checking in and doing emotional audits if you will to make sure that like it's in alignment for you too but also like how did I play a role
0: And even on that relationship topic, I remember when somebody asked me and they phrased it as my quote, relationship with food. And that kind of almost broke me a bit too. I was like, I don't have a relationship with food. Like I have relationships with people. I don't have a relationship with food. And then like just that idea, like opened up my mind to how many things I truly have a relationship with, whether it's my Instagram account, whether it's my laptop, whether it's my podcast, whether it's, you know, coffee or food, it's like, Oh, shit! Like I have completely neglected this relationship. No wonder I can't figure out what's going on in this realm or that realm or my body, my muscles, you know, and so it it that even just that awareness of, yeah, you have so many more relationships than just people. It goes a lot deeper,
1: oh my God, so I feel so passionate about that topic because people just. I feel like that's where they do a lot of the work for some, or they pretend to do a lot of the work on relationship stuff.
0: (laughs) Call them out. and
1: Right. To like on emotional relationship stuff and they'll like read another book and listen to another podcast. And that's great. But it's like the roots of relationships. It's about feeling seen and supported. Is there, you know, energetic reciprocity? Is there expansion? Is it actually beneficial for where I am currently in my life and where I'm trying to go in my life? Like what is the energetic exchange here? I mean, there's so much that is ingrained in that, that people just, you know, it's all, of course, obviously all goes back to energy, but it also goes back to intention. Like what's the intention of even salvaging this relationship or working on it? Because sometimes people just don't even know that. And I feel like if you can't even get to the bottom of that, then you're going to have a pretty difficult time in relationship because it, in gen, in any relationship, because those patterns bleed over. Like maybe for you, you hyper-focus on one key area of a relationship, but there's always you know, this string that kind of is tying us between all of these. And there's always themes that we are the common denominator, like I am the problem or the main character in all of these issues. So where can I start to work on that and shifting and fixing and, you know, admitting and being aware because life is a decision. Life is a series of, you know, decisions, choices and consequences. And that's just how it goes. And like that all starts with Awareness and then deliberate creation. And that is mm. a power that we cultivate, not other people, but we are just so quick to throw that onto somebody else, another person, another job, another relationship. But it always has to come back to us. And that's when you're finally, you don't understand all of a sudden, people have a mental, you know, call it breakdown, breakthrough for the most random reason. Like that one day they can't get their contact in, they start hysterically crying, and then they feel like their world is co- like, sh- Crashing in front of them, it wasn't the contact; it was all the stuff that was piling prior that that just pushed you over the edge. So it's like let's get ahead of it and be proactive.
0: Yeah, that's that could probably be a very awakening moment in someone's life where a contact could get you to break down and start crying. But then you never know; you never know. It, it once it builds up, it, it'll build up until like overfloods the dam. So, yeah. so where you're at in your life, then whenever it comes to let's say a lower frequency vibrations, shame, guilt, fear, what have been some of the tools that help you to either transmute those or figure out where you're not truly embodying your authentic self that brought in this negative energy or, you know, like, like, does that make sense kind of where I'm going with it? Like how have you found the ability to either transmute it or make the shifts and decisions, the change in decisions that you wish to embody to carry out and not be in repeating circumstances?
1: Yeah, so I think at least for me, a big part of it is so much of it is awareness and taking ownership where I need to, because again, awareness and decisions and like that deliberate conscious is always going to be really paramount, but also understanding like, what am I ultimately trying to either avoid or get through? Or like, why don't I want to sit with this? Or like, let's say guilt. I feel like is a really, uh, my whole life, my mom always said guilt is a wasted emotion. And like, so I say that so cavalier, cavalierly as I've gotten older, because I've just always heard it. And I've understood it more as I've gotten older, because for example, like What I always tell people is like, listen, everything in your life that has happened has happened up until this point. You could, you can't ever, should have done, would have done, could have done anything any differently. Right. So it's about choosing how you want things to be different the next time. So focusing on the outcome that you think you're ultimately trying to get to. So like, if I'm, okay, I feel guilty because I bailed on this person. Like, okay, well, people think that if they feel a certain way, it's going to change the outcome of what happened. And it didn't because that already happened. So it's about what can I do next time? What are the actionable steps that I can do to change the desired outcome or the feeling that I'm trying to attain or attract in my life Next time. So, a lot of that, unfortunately, comes back to me, myself, and I. How did I allow that? Why did I allow that? Right. And then, of course, doing what I call like your emo- emotional audit. So, like, where are there, you know, pro inflammatory people, thoughts, energy, vibes in my life that are no longer actually serving me anymore? And doing an emotional, like an honest assessment about that and realizing that energy is, of course, as you know, like your most important currency and that everything pretty much holds energy, right? Like the photos that you have in your house, the clothes that you wear, the colors, the people, the places that you're in. So really getting very, I think, intentional about does, how is this energetically affecting me? Like, it's a question I always check in with myself of like, is this infecting or affecting my energy? And then from there, I can kind of follow that string down and ask some other questions. Like, okay, where do I need to maybe sit with this discomfort? Is this a struggle that's ultimately a teacher? Where do I need to think big picture? Where do I need to think outside of the box? Like, So a lot of that is really just being inquisitive and just keep asking questions and just keep following the string down. And I think it's that process of just keep asking more and understanding that this is ultimately happening for me, but I need to... like participate in really wanting to know the why and the intention behind things. So that's kind of what I personally do.
0: This episode of Traveling to Consciousness is brought to you by Aquarius Mushrooms. And Aquarius Mushrooms creates what I can only describe as these fine art sculptures that are all one of a kind and these plush mushroom fabric sculptures. They're what I would describe as being like little trip buddies. They're perfect for anyone who has a room that is dedicated to spiritual adventures or anyone who is looking for a fine piece of art that is one of a kind. I think I said that, but one of a kind to enhance their psychedelic experience. I'm sober and I look at mine all the time and it just oozes out this creative and spiritual energy that I it's hard for me to stop looking at sometimes. And so if you are on even maybe just smoking some weed, like I can only see how this thing would open up a portal to a new world. So I highly recommend that you click the sponsors link below, scroll down where you see Aquarius mushrooms, click their website and see if any of them speak to you. Because if it does, I can only imagine how it's going to speak to you in the real world. Aquarius mushrooms, mushrooms for the new age of enlightenment. No, that's a, beautiful way to put it because it's reminding me of something that I do which I mess around a lot with my dreams set an in intention I get a dream the night of which like kind of answers the question in its own quasi way that I'm trying I try to figure out and where it gets super interesting is and this has happened pretty repetitively where you know I'll ask a question along the lines of I mean I can't really think of one so this is going to be a hypothetical uh why why am i not seeing x million dollars in my bank account right and then i get a dream and it says because you hold jealousy and i'm like well where do i hold jealousy and it's like with this person this person this person and it's like well what's the base root of jealousy it's like oh you're not feeling embodied in yourself it's like oh, okay well then how do i feel embodied with myself It's like, okay, you do this, this, and this. And honestly, at a certain point, I get so far down the list where I'm like, Mm -hmm. where the wait, why the hell am I now talking about feeling joy and Mm -hmm. and getting my, you know, dog out of the crate or something, you know, something crazy. And it's like you're worried about $10 million. And then you follow the list down. And it's like, oh, well, you don't pick up your clothes every single day. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. what? It's like like it's it's so wild to the conscious brain of like these these two things are connected? Like, like what? how How did I get here again? And then you like refollow the path and you're like, okay, that checks out, but I don't understand why that checks out.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. I love doing, that's why I love prompts so much. Like I give them to my clients, I mm. give them to myself because for me personally, like I don't love journaling in the sense, it feels too like forced, like, okay, I have to sit down and I have to journal. I like things because the way my brain works in such a manner is that I wanna think about something and ruminate on it and like let my brain wander the way that it wants to so a prompt for me it's like it's like playing sports and you have a coaching cue right your coach says something to you you ultimately have to kind of figure out how to implement that and integrate that anyway. The cue is really important and it's a reminder and it brings you back when you're having those moments of feeling like you're out of alignment or you're not feeling great or you're having those lower frequencies. But it's like the prompt is what brings me back. It's kind of like my, you know, my buoy, if you will. So like another one I always really like is the idea of like, you know, how have my thoughts been lately, right? Because watching your thoughts is a really important thing. So like are these thoughts empowering me? Are they disempowering me? Like, do they feel good? Um, like what feeling do I want more of? I think it's Wayne Dyer who says, like, wisdom is avoiding all thoughts that weaken me, right? So kind of just always checking in with that. Like, how is this thought, feeling, person, energy of, you know, affecting me? And then also just kind of reminding myself too that like you're always just one thought away from happiness or joy or love or abundance because it goes back to that quote of like, I think and I think and I think and I thought myself out of happiness a million millions of times but never once into it. So Mm -hmm. it is true, right? Because the fake scenario you're telling yourself or the, you know, the shame spiral that you've dug yourself into or whatever it is like, The negative what if game is just as true to your body as the positive what if game. So like, what if it could go better? What would it look like? What would it feel like if my dream scenario came, you know, into my life right now? Like, can I even hold space for that? Like, what would that feel like? So again, it does go back to like, what is the emotion that I'm ultimately trying to feel or quote, get? from this XY thing or even running away from this XY thing. So like, how have my thoughts been lately and kind of, you know, following that string down to at least for me, it has been really helpful. And like, what's taking up most of my energy right now? Like, what do I want to actually be taking up my energy and using that energy as sort of a barometer um, for like my my like North
0: Star, I really I don't
1: know about you, but like I'm super sensitive to people's like being around other people if you're like very sagacious and wise like you probably people love probably having you around, but you're just like. I don't know if I can hold the space for this or how I'm going to feel after. And everyone wants to pick your brain. And what like, so sometimes I'm just like, I don't have the energy or this is not like energizing me. This is actually quite draining. And like the reciprocal energy flow here is not it for me. So I think always just checking in, like what is the energetic investment here? Is this like a withdrawal? Is this a deposit? Like, is this a, is this a good ROI? So that is kind of how I'm always, this is why people hate making plans with me. (laughs)
0: Like not coming
1: Most of the time I'm like, no i'm in bed but that's fine so i'm sure you probably deal with that a lot too
0: um try to think about it i don't because see the way i view it i started getting into the human design recently i'm not sure how much familiar you're familiar with it and my thing is to like respond so I'm manifesting generator so i kind of like my mo is to kind of just sit back and respond and when people have a question for me then i'll help them but it's interesting. I think I fall more into a category of when people like, so I kind of just sit back and let the world unfold around me. And then when someone has a question, I give them an answer. I I think it's interesting. I think that I kind of sit in this space of giving such a deep answer that people shy away from it sometimes where it's, it's like, You know, they'll ask me like why I do something or how I do it, and then I'll give them an answer, but it it almost like goes too deep for them, and then they kind of shy away from asking follow-up questions. So I don't know. I mean, I guess you could see that as a good thing or a bad thing that, you know, people who don't want to actually go down that rabbit hole, I tend to not get asked questions from. So I I don't know. I mean, that's kind of the way that I see it, but I've definitely also seen where I'm in a certain environment, I'm around certain people, and you know, you can just you can just feel it. There's like a little clock that goes off. And it's like, yeah, this is this isn't helping me. This is hurting me more than helping.
1: But have you I mean, obviously, this is the first time we're meeting. So I, I feel like by the time people get to this version of their consciousness evolution or call it whatever you want, like, has this kind of always been who you are and have people who like grew up with you kind of been like, Oh, that's just how how Clayton's been? Or Are they like, whoa, this version of him is like, way deep. And I don't know how to deal with it. Or like, you know, how have you kind of Dealt with that awakening or ego death or that transformation Mm. of you know old new transition like how's that been for you?
0: I see what you're saying. I've always been very inquisitive of Mm -hmm. you know everything from like if my parents were like you have to go bed at at eight o'clock I'm like well why like why do I have to go to bed at eight you know and it always pissed me off whenever it wasn't an answer like oh I'm telling you to that's why I'm like that's not that's not a why like (laughs) that's not valid and so. I think that I've always kind of had that almost and I joke about this. Maybe people would take offense to it, but I kind of joke about that. I'm almost autistically curious about the why of things. And, Mm -hmm. And I think so much to a point where, you know, kind of growing up, I was kind of in this quasi athletic nerd state like I was extremely athletic, but I also was very good with computer programming, math, physics, like all like both of those things were just like second nature to me. So it put me in this very interesting dynamic of like between, you know, being super smart, but then being athletic. And again, I think growing up, I've also still always had kind of that like sit back and watch mentality where I'm more of the, the question asker, you know, more of like the interviewer of of just kind of seeing what's going on. And I I love like, don't get me wrong. I absolutely love when people have questions for me. I love answering them, but it, it almost seems as if, and I don't know if it's a conscious, I haven't really dove too deep into this energy, but at some level, it seems like that's kind of just what's always been presented to me of this. Like my mission here is to kind of observe and just ask questions to help other people. And, and quite frankly, that's where I've seen a lot of, growth in other people is whenever i've just asked questions as opposed to giving like this deep philosophical answer that would have all the mm-hmm. answers it's more like it, i there's almost like a continuous lesson here of me just like okay slow your roll and just like propose them with questions for so that you can figure it out and then there's the ego that kind of steps in and is like wait wait, wait i want to tell them i need to tell them because i need to know <laughs> and then it's like well let's let's just let them figure it out and and so that's definitely an internal battle that kind of I think has always kind of been there, but maybe where it has kind of come full circle is the, the element of me that was maybe more of the ego unhealthy and unintegrated was Mm -hmm. more of just like telling people how it is kind of, I I feel like you have that energy as well, where you just tell people how it is. And so I think it pushed people away, you know, to the extent of like, well, I don't like, I'm not trying to anger you, but like, this is just the way I see it. This is the way that it is. And it, Mm -hmm. it didn't have that, empathetic, sympathetic piece to it. It was kind of always missing that, that little bit of like glitter on top of it for, you know, someone to actually enjoy it. It's like, I'll, I'll give you all the ingredients, but you know, now it's more like actually baking those ingredients into a cupcake that someone actually wants to eat
1: yeah i always joke i always say your meanest friends are your realest friends and i think that's very much so an east coast thing because when i lived in california that was obviously not (laughs) the case. Um, but i also like to your point i i I think jordan peterson talks about it a lot the idea if if you're talking and somebody's not listening stop talking so i'm never the person to give my opinion or advice unwarranted don't cast pearl before swine kind of thing Mm -mm. Um, but when you ask my opinion and I'm like, okay, you're, you want the, do you want the truth or do you want what you're looking to hear? Cause I'm not the friend who's going to just, you know, confirm what you want to hear. I'm going to give it to you real. And so, you know, not all, not all medicine tastes like Kool-Aid is what I tell people. So I'm like, listen, this is not the Kool-Aid version. <laughs> so I think that's why I'm really I'll take the cherry. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I am super selective about that. I'm definitely not one to just be like, this is my thought and my opinion and here's my philosophy. Cause I think that does happen a lot in the spiritual conscious world where people, everybody wants to be the Dalai Lama. And I'm like, dude, you have not put in the reps. Like you have not done that. So you haven't like earned that yet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you've had some trauma, but so, I mean, I think it's important too, to like sort of know where that role. And I think so much of that does go back to ego too. And humility of being like, this is not, like this is not my shit to flush number one and this is really not the Mm. place for me to step in if it hasn't been asked and also if you're not listening like I have been very uh like very defiant on that with some friendships I've had in my life where it became a very one-sided friendship where it was like yeah they wanted advice or my opinion or whatever and then after a while like just straight up people not listening and then they would still complain about their same problems and I have I just do not have tolerance for that in my life. I have empathy and sympathy for you, but it's not something I want in my like circle and my energy field. So like I've just cut relationships like that off because it's not mutually beneficial. It's not serving me and it's ultimately draining me. And people might think that that's callous. But I think the effect you have on others is like one of the most valuable currencies that there is. And so like I know the effect that I have positively on others. And if that's not reciprocated in some way, it's not like, you know, give me this and I give you that. It's an energetic exchange because energy is everything. And so I think that is a tough thing. Sometimes that's kind of why I asked you that question, because I think sometimes in this journey for people, as they kind of get more into it and they have I think, you know, in Buddhist philosophy, they call it sitarai, which means like instant awakening, right? So people all of a sudden have it and they feel so stoked about it. And then like, they look at everything else and they're just like, oh my God, is my life a lie? Like I have to (laughs) get rid of this or I have to do this or I have to change this or like, should I start wearing beads and you know, whatever, like, you know, so I think it's kind of for some people it is a slower, slower, like boil. And then for other people, they're just like, no, this is actually who I've always been like, to your point, I've very much so been the same way. Like I've always been super inquisitive. My mom calls me the question grape, like ask a bunch of questions. And then I think you just kind of ultimately become more of who you are in a way that feels more like expressive and aligned.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, because even it's, it's so fascinating too, that the the idea of questions and asking good questions is actually something that's been popping up quite a bit in the last three days for me specifically. And I'm even kind of looking back at the relationships that I've, Formed because I left Pittsburgh, went to San Diego, came back to Pittsburgh. And so, you know, I created some new friendships through jujitsu. And it's always been very fascinating. Again, being that person who sits back and watches how other people interact, the people who like go up and say hi to people, the people who kind of just sit back and people come up and say hi to them. And it's just always been so fascinating to me because I don't know that many people come up to me initially to say hi. And I don't know if it's, you know, being. You know, six foot, two hundred twenty pounds, or you know, and being bald, yeah, that'll That'll probably that'll shy people away. And so, what I've kind of found is it's almost like I'm, you know, it's almost this propellant for me to go out of my way and say hi, or even take more of a question approach of like, oh, how's your weekend going? And then they give you an answer, and and at a certain point, it can start feeling like you're pulling teeth, and that's kind of where I've realized to pull back. But but overall, like I don't. I don't really specifically see people going out of their way to come up and say hi to me. It's almost like this weird dynamic of me needing to reach out to engage the world, but then at the same time kind of settle back and wait for things to respond. So it's an interesting dynamic that I've been playing with or seeing in my life over the last week or two.
1: Is that a common preconceived notion for you amongst people who don't know you that you're like either not nice or maybe you could be because you like, you know, like what's kind of a preconceived notion that people would be like, no, that's actually not it at all for me. Um,
0: I'm not sure. The first thing that's coming up is I know whenever I was in San Diego, there was like a one month period where some of my best friends majority. Well, the majority of the ones that told me this were girls. And they all said within like a month period, it was like five of them were like, you know, I hated you whenever we first met. But, you know, after getting to know you, I consider you like one of my best friends in San Diego. And yeah. after hearing that, like four or five times, I like actually started proactively asking people in my circle about that and they're like yeah yeah and then i even asked my parents and they were like oh yeah we always were curious like how you were actually able to make friends i'm like what why was this never brought to my awareness (laughs) beforehand
1: probably because you're authentic so that's triggering to people Mm. you know or you make people think about questions that they don't want to think about or they're you know that's like that's that draw that they close and you're like, "Wait, let's just look in here." And they're like, "No, no, no." no. Yeah. And then they end up loving you for that.
0: Oh, for sure because I can Yeah, cuz again this kind of goes back to that jokingly autistic version of myself where I can I like I can see all the inner dynamic energies and things that occur with people and then and this was even before like my spiritual awakening, dark night of the soul, all that stuff. And I think I just naturally would be like like, like, see the pressure point, and almost like just want to poke it. Just be like, all right, why does mm-hmm. this do this? Oh, why are you getting mad about that? Like, that wasn't my intent. And then I'm sure sometimes like the ego kind of comes in, and it's like, all right, we're gonna actually fuck with this person, and you know, uh, yeah. But yeah, what what can you do, right?
1: What can you do? Have an interesting relationship with your ego is what you can do. Oh, the ego, you know.
0: Yeah. It, what's what's your relationship like with your ego? <laughs>
1: Oh, that's been an interesting relationship. I think my ego was very misunderstood. Um, or I, I didn't fully understand like what ego meant on a deeper level because it does really get cast as a really negative thing and really because there's, I think, not great attributes to it, but um Dr. Wayne Dyer, like my whole life, my mom has always read me Wayne Dyer and your erroneous zones and like that was always a joke like most kids were getting mother goose and that's the kind of stuff my mom was reading me so it's been like seeping deep into my brain and it's funny because as an adult the chapters that i really liked for her to read to me when i was a kid are the same chapters that i that really resonate with me now as an adult and a lot of the themes were always about uh surrendering um like loosening your grip on life going with the flow and a lot of it was this like ego-based thinking of You know, your validation comes from external things. And, you know, same thing. I was really good at sports. I was really good at school. Like, you know, so you get a lot of that from a very young age. And so you think that your worth is based around that. I never cared about like the comparison game of like, oh, somebody's doing this. So I have to do that. I was always actually quite the opposite. If everybody was doing something, I was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to like it. Whatever. Um, but very interesting in the sense of that I did have a very hard time with control stuff because I wanted things to be on my timeline, how I wanted it to be, um, you know, like very much so this this dance of surrendering masculine feminine energy was something that I struggled I think a lot with, especially younger in my career. Um, and it's been interesting to see like, again, as I've gotten older, those have been the things like, you know, when you like open a book and you're just like, okay, what does the universe want me to read today? Mm-hmm always, it will be on stuff like that, like surrendering, flowing, letting go. What's your relationship like with endings, all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of always been a, an undercurrent uh, for me that I think I've gotten a lot better at being able to identify it. I call now your ego. It's like your super annoying frenemy where you're just like, oh, Annabelle's back. And you're like, okay, she's trying to do this so and true. like pull me out of this mood and whatever. So I've learned to identify it a lot more and just be like, cool. I see what you're trying to do here, but like this is a very short term game, and I'm not interested in participating. So thank you, next.
0: Mm. That's interesting, because it's, it's making me think about when my ego seems to appear. It's like whenever I want to say something real bad in a Mm -hmm. conversation. And yet, for some reason, people keep like just talking right whenever I was going to say it, you know what I mean. And so it's like this thing that I just want to say, and it gets to a certain point in the conversation where we're completely past it being a legitimate thing mm-hmm. to say, but I'm still gripping and holding on to this thing that I want to inject in the conversation, and I tend to hold on to it too long. And I've been getting really good at just like letting go of it. And if it's meant to be mm-hmm. said, I'll say it later. But but whenever you know it comes back to that, like the letting go and the surrendering, because if you hold on to that thing whenever it's my turn to talk, whenever it's the right time, that's what I'm going to say. And it's probably not even going to be applicable for that point in the conversation.
1: Yeah, I struggled a lot with letting go and the idea of, I guess it's more so your relationship with endings in general and what that means and sense of control. And then, I don't know, I, I kind of just like totally reframed my relationship with that of it's this idea of like, right, but that's how you create newness in your life. And it's like the idea, which is so interesting, because, you know, I think a lot of Taoist philosophy talks a lot about that, like emulating nature and seasons and ending and things like that. So it's like that idea of like, you know, the degree to which you can let go of your old life is directly proportional to the speed at which you can get your new life or new chapter or whatever. And I think like the second I reframe that about like this creating new space idea of like, yeah, if you want to get a new couch, you have to get rid of the old couch, like kind of thing, or you want new clothes, you got to empty out your closet. And that for me, like, just totally, like, years of having issues of, you know, when my mom would be like, just, you have to let it go, Brie. And I'm like, I don't, what does that mean? Because I'm a very, like, cool, I love the theory, but I'm also like, what are the next steps? What's my homework assignment? I want to be a good student, (laughs) right? So when people would say things like that and Eckhart Tolle and all, like, you know, reading all that stuff and I'm like, but what does that mean? I'm like, what do I, how do I just let it go? I just drop it. Like, what does that mean? And how then do for, I do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm like, what is, what am I doing? I'm like, is there a prompt? Is there like an app yeah. I can download? Like, is there a support group I can
0: join? That is exactly um, my issue. It's just anytime, any, you know, back to the whole like analogy I had earlier with like a million dollars, like just tell yeah. me I need to clean my room. Just, <laughs> just tell me what I got to do to get, I don't care what it is. I'll just do it. And, you know, to that point, there's that element of actually just like resting and receiving and surrendering to the now. Oh and I'm just like, what in the fuck does that even mean? Like, like if I don't yeah. do something, nothing's going to get done. Like and if nothing totally. gets done, then how is anything going to happen? And it's like, fuck, like, you know, it's a, I do like that reframe you're saying of like just it opened by letting go and letting things die. It allows room for newness to come in. This episode of Traveling to Consciousness is brought to you by Revive CBD. Now I know what you're thinking, another CBD product? And typically, I would completely agree with you. I've gone through all my trials and tribulations with CBD products, but this CBD cream is unlike anything else. Honestly, I don't know what it is, but there's something in the technology of it that it helps absorb into your skin and actually get to the place that aches and soothes your muscles almost instantaneously. It's close to instant. It's probably about a five to 10 minute activation that I've noticed, but sometimes it goes a little bit quicker. And so I know it can be difficult for the find the right one. And this was my personal favorite that I found after long enough. (laughs) I don't want to go back to that dark time but I found it. It works amazing. And the creator of it is an incredible guy. So I highly recommend you click the sponsors link below, click on the revive CBD tab and get yours today. Revive CBD, feel better, live better, all premium, all natural CBD products. Totally.
1: It's so funny. Like my friends, one of my best friends from California, Rocio and I, we always joke about this idea of like, yeah, trying to let things go. And then like this idea of It's like wanting to always heal to the best that you can and like winning at like healing or winning at (laughs) therapy. And it's like, there is no winning. And that's the ego... In itself it feels over like
0: masculinized. Idea. It feels like you're masculinizing surrender. Oh my god,
1: yeah. So, uh, so we even joke about that, about like rec- so the energy of receiving, like which is very in alignment with abundance, and this idea of like not even being able to take a compliment, being the first one, and we would do it with each That's other huge. all the time, being like, oh my god, you look so. Even just like, and I know Christina talks about this a lot of being if somebody says something like, you look nice, instead of being like, oh me, no, I don't look, you look better, and being like, no, thank you, I receive that without having to do it, you know, say something back or whatever. And that was, I, when I even did that, the idea of, okay, like receiving a compliment, asking for help. Those were things that were so hard for me. So I like made it a practice to say, okay, Brianna, I am going to ask for somebody to hold my jacket while I'm in line. Sounds so small and silly, but was such important for me, like an important prompt for me to be like, cool. That's allowing me to be vulnerable or to be open, to be soft, to have softness and yeah, balancing the masculine and feminine. So like even small things like that, receiving a compliment and not saying anything back or being like, and I got this shirt from, you know, wherever. Cause as you know, as as people do. So that even once I changed my relationship with that, that was also very interesting, a big shift for me with, um, being able to like let go and flow, I think more in surrender because it kind of all like, they kind of all hang out together.
0: Yeah. That compliment piece you're, you're hitting home. You're hitting home for me there. Tough one. It's so, it's so wild. And I, I've seen it, you know, and this is where it gets interesting because I've been living with my parents and it's so interesting to see it play out with them where, you know, if I give my mom a compliment, like her first thing is to like detract from it. Like there is no yeah. thank you. I receive it. It's just like, Hey, dinner's well. Ah, oh, yeah. Like not even thanks. It's just Oh yeah, like I I should have taken it out a little bit earlier, or I should have left. And it's that it's that pivot. Like you can feel it, especially if you give someone a compliment or you receive a compliment, right? And then just say thank you and sit in that. Like that felt so so weird. Yeah, it felt so weird. It's
1: probably the most awkward thing. Even like you know, like when you're dating or something, and someone says something nice, just be like thank you, and then like moving on and being like, so what else? You know, like it is. I think it's a vulnerability thing for sure, and I think it does go back to that idea of, I know for me too, I struggled a lot at being a recovering people pleaser. uh, And that all goes with boundaries and people pleasing and like all of that and self worth, right? Like it's all tied together. And so the idea too, of just being like, yeah, no, I am worthy of that. And I'm like deserving of that. And I don't have to give you something back or do something back or be the performative, you know, like, circus act to feel worthy or love, which I think goes back to like doing really well in sports and school. And like, that's how I got a lot of praise. And, you know, so it was like really sitting with that and untangling a lot of that of like, why do I feel like I have to do anything except say thank you and receive that? Like, where did that come from? Not like that totally came for me. My parents never made me feel that way. Like anybody, like that was just on me for whatever reason. So once I even just, sometimes it's not even always about figuring it out. Sometimes it's just like, Head nodding it and like acknowledging it and be like, I see you, I got yeah. you. it.
0: Like,
1: <laughs> you're not a, not a problem anymore. And then you just give it the space to like do its thing. And that for me was, I think, just so tra- like I physically felt the change in my energy once I did that.
0: And something that's speaking of like physically feeling the energy change, I'm thinking in this in returns to the ego as well. Because if you if someone comes up to you and just keeps giving you praise and praise and praise, you would think that that would feed your ego, but if If it truly was feeding your ego, you would almost be okay with it. You'd be like, yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. Like, thanks. Like, like, yeah, I know. Like, Clint, you're so amazing. You're so great. Yeah. Like the ego is like, yeah, I know. But it, but there's almost this weird mechanism where it's not ego. And instead, and maybe for some people that feeds their ego, but at least for me, and it sounds like yourself, it's almost this just inability to receive the praise. It's like, even the ego is blocked from receiving that information to you know kind of sit and bask in that
1: yeah the ego's like i'm not touching this with a 10-foot pole that's on you we'll be back later to try and pull you down in another way
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> like bro just take this this is you this is for you right here let's go <laughs> yeah
1: pick it You're up. like no thank you yeah. anything else shame guilt i'll take anything yeah. <laughs> else but a compliment
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh that's wild how did you see that like pivot throughout your life like when when did you acknowledge that you weren't able to receive, how did you fix that? And then how has that like changed your life?
1: So my friend Rocio, we always joke, we say that we're the blind leading the blind and like our eyesight's just not getting better. Like that's kind of, cause we are very much so, like any relationship is a mirror for what you ultimately have going on with yourself and, you know, a reflection back. So we're basically always giving advice to each other, but to ourselves. And we're always generally going through the same thing, just in like a different timeline or kind of like a different dialect or, you know, what have you. And so a lot of the times it's, you know, and if somebody doesn't have a friend to do that with, let's say, I think it's that idea of like, I always joke, like coaches don't play, you know, like the people who give the best advice, don't take their own advice kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So just a simple prompt of being like, if, this was my friend going through this right now, or they were dealing with this, like, what would I say to them? So it's like, even it's, you know, call it havening or reparenting yourself or whatever, just, you know, giving yourself that kindness and space and grace and, you know, lovingness. And I I think it's just, we're so hard on ourselves. And I think I actually reached a point where I was probably in like my late twenties. I'm 33 now. I was maybe like 28. Great space in, you know, my career, like, felt like I was crushing it. Like, go, go, go. I like being busy, all of this. And I remember like saying to my mom, I was like, I can't sustain this. I was like, if I keep going at this rate, by the time I'm 30, I will absolutely like just burn out. And so for me, I had to really take a hard look at myself and be like, why do I feel like, and I moved around a lot too in my like 20s. like I lived in Colorado and California and Connecticut and, and Spain, like all really cool things for really cool opportunities, career stuff. And like, it was amazing. But at the same time, it went very much so back to that, wherever you go, there you are. And at some point I was like, okay, I was thinking about, I remember like leaving California and I wanted to move back to New Jersey. And like, it was on my terms finally. And it was like, I kind of just felt like I had to sort of sit with why did I like what was I running away from or why did I feel some of these really strong emotions that kept coming up? So it was a little bit of being like, I can't sustain this anymore of like always running, always being on the go, never being soft, never being flexible. I was like, that I will just burn out. And then I also started being like, I felt like I was attracting in people. And particularly for me, relationships tend to be my greatest teachers or catalysts for teachers. And I kept, like attracting in patterns that I just did not want, and I was like participating, even though I really didn't want to. And I was like, "All right, I can't keep doing this either." And I was like, "So I need to really take a very hard look at what I'm allowing." And it's like the character of your choice, kind of thing. And so that is when I had to really sit with it and be like, "All right, I got to like really sift through this." So I think it was it was me a, a combination of all of that, and then that idea of like the only way through something is forward. Right. So I was like, I have to move forward with this and I have to like leave what's in the past in the past and just kind of cultivate newness in my life.
0: And so then that was the, the motivation to cultivate newness. That was what helped you to pivot into receiving compliments.
1: Yeah. Like this idea of like, I just didn't want to keep living that way. Like I just, I felt like I wasn't cultivating the kind of relationships that I wanted or everything in my life started feeling so one-sided or feeling so not reciprocal. I felt so Mm. drained all the time energetically. And I was like, so what's going on with me? Like what are my patterns that I'm allowing? Or when I would go, let's say even hang out with my friends, like why would that? Because I would never, why would I feel so tired when I came back or like bail last minute or whatever. And it was like, because I felt like when I was there, I couldn't, fully enjoy myself or be present or receive whatever it was because I felt like I had to be on and like funny and bubbly and whatever. And I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. And so it was like, just straight up, like, I just don't want to do this anymore. And that was kind of where I had to really reassess like the masculine feminine balance in my life. And I think I started realizing more that like receiving abundance, all of that, allowing, surrendering, much more feminine energies and i had to really work on recalibrating and rebalancing
0: that Mm. and so you realize that you were over masculine in the giving of your time your energy and never truly receiving anything back from other people totally
1: yes so that went back to boundaries people pleasing
0: self-worth
1: of course like so on and so forth
0: so then what practices are you doing now to get yourself into the state of receiving and how often do you P- try to put yourself in a state of receiving.
1: I will straight up now, like if somebody says something nice or does something nice, like I have to consciously say, thank you. I received that, which I don't think I'll have to do that forever. But for now, I'm still like, I'm training that.
0: I'm still there you know, too. Don't worry. Yeah. yeah so
1: I'm, <laughs> I'm working on that. And then also actively just reminding myself when somebody does something kind, like I would be the first person to do anything and everything for the people that I love, like with never wanting anything in return. And so for me, it was looking at my relationship with self-worth. I'm like, why don't I feel that I'm worthy enough to just have somebody want to do something nice for me, whether it's a compliment, receiving a blessing, receiving a kind word, like whatever it was. So just also seeing where the idea of receiving an abundance could come in other things besides just, let's say, a compliment. So receiving health, receiving wisdom, receiving, um, you know, like a good experience, a good energetic exchange. So really just kind of opening up my box, if you will, or my boundaries with what that even meant to me. And then actively, like if somebody does something quote nice or feels like they're, you know, doing something kind, like being like, thank you. And that's it. And like, actively stopping myself from having to go right back into my old patterns of being like, and now let me do this for you. Like Mm. wait three business days and then you can do it, (laughs) kind of thing. And that has been really tough for me. And like that has, but it's also been like uh, an exercise that I I have found helpful for me where it feels now when I do get compliments or somebody does something nice or they help me or whatever, um, it feels like I'm not bracing it so much, like I'm embracing it. And that idea, like how I said to you earlier, like, forcing myself to do little things that put me into modes of receiving. So like asking somebody, can you get this for me on the top shelf? And again, it sounds really silly, but those little positive things build positive momentum. It's like, I think there was that guy who did it on uh, Instagram. It's like the rejection theory where if you go and like ask five people a day out and like all five of them, like say, no, you kind of become impervious to the rejection. Mm. So again, this idea of like a numbers game. So it was really just also, like learning to ask for that and knowing that I'm worthy of receiving that with nothing, no strings attached. And I don't I don't know if that's an East Coast thing, kind of like, I don't think everybody gets that, but like this, this idea of like, yeah, I did this for you, you do this for me, one hand washes the other kind of thing. Like I never could resonate with people in California on a deep level, level with that kind of stuff. But when I talk to a lot of my like homies on the East Coast, especially like I'm Italian, like, I don't know, that kind of just resonates with me too. So that's like my own working theory that I have about it. Um, so yeah, kind of just working through some of those things.
0: Maybe there is a connection there because I mean, I'm East coast and also Italian as well. So I wonder if there's a connection there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think it goes back to intimacy stuff, stuff, you know, like I know at least very traditional Italian cultures, like you weren't talking about your feelings and emotions. Like you weren't going to therapy. Like you weren't, you know, that wasn't it. There was love and respect. Yeah, yeah. You have a cannoli. You just shove that down. You know, yeah. like take <laughs> yeah. the cannoli, leave the emotions, is what you do.
0: Yeah, that was your thing. that was your pediatrics. So was, yeah, jump in exactly. to the cannoli stand.
1: <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I, I do assume. think that there is some cultural stuff in there and some like where you're from kind of stuff. You know, like, and I'm sure that it will offend a lot of East Coast people. But I actually never found any deep connections really with anybody from California. I lived there for almost four years. Um, I felt a lot of it was like sounded good on paper, like, cool, you read a lot of self help books and you have like a Reiki healer and I get it. And I just there wasn't like that level of authenticity like there is on the East Coast and this like ride or die mentality and whatever. I don't know. So that's kind of my own theory. And I feel like East Coast people get it and West Coast people can see that. get offended by it, you know?
0: There's definitely something to it. Like uh I know the big the big way it manifests is like whenever you would meet people visiting San Diego, it was always oh my gosh, everyone's so friendly here. I'm from New York and like, you don't talk to people on the elevator or on the side of the road, but here everyone talks and is friendly, which is really fascinating that I guess that would perpetuate or manifest itself up because I feel like there's still that underground bedrock of exactly what you're talking about. But then on the surface level, it's like, I don't know the surface level. And maybe there's this like West Coast, it's more surface level friendly, but then East Coast, you kind of need to penetrate down into it to actually create that foundation.
1: But once you have that, like you're homing for life. There was actually somebody who did a video or they, they did something about they're like, this is the main difference between the East Coast and the West Coast. They're like, if you're on the East Coast and you get a flat tire, someone will be like, oh, my God, you're an idiot. Move. Let me fix this for you. <laughs> On the West Coast, you get a flat tire. Somebody's like, oh, man, that's a bummer for sure. That sucks. Right on. Have a good day. And they don't help you. Right. So it's mm-hmm. like that idea of this, like, very deep, deep. I think on the West Coast, again, at least it's from my experience, I was able to talk about things on a much broader scale. Like, yeah, you could talk to the random person on the corner about, like, what crystal did you get? And, like, where do you go for IV therapy? And, like, what tonic do you take for your liver? Like, that was so common. We're here. You don't get that. People are like, what is going on here? But the loyalty ride or die, like deep kind of stuff. I felt like I just couldn't get that out there. And for me, I was also at a place in my life where that's what I felt like I was really, really missing was like that authenticity back to my original point of like so much of this healing journey is just trying to come back to your most authentic self. And I spent all of those years in my 20s, like I joke and call New Jersey, the boomerang state. I left, like I moved across the country and back four times, you know, like, wow. and I kept moving back to New Jersey. Like I, you know, so I think it was that idea of like really wanting to get back to my roots of like, okay, back to my intentions. Like, what is it that I really value? What's important to me? Um, and that's just, that's my theory on that. I don't really know how we got there, but
0: I, I don't know how we get anywhere. Honestly, on this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> usually have to re-listen a couple times. I'm like, Oh, okay, <laughs> that makes sense.
1: I see that. Uh, okay.
0: But it is interesting, and this is something I guess I've because I've always been telling people that I'm gonna make it back to San Diego. I'm gonna make it back to San Diego, but lately I've been like, I don't know if that's like where I'm supposed to go for sure. I mean, I again, beautiful people, beautiful weather, but then you know there is that element as well as like, well, is there other stuff to check out? Is there another city that's calling my name? You know, so it's uh, it's definitely a very interesting dynamic of trying to figure out those big questions in life.
1: I believe you should live as many places as you can while you can so that you know where you want to plant roots. Like mm-hmm. I'm a really big, bo- while you still can, like, right. I think it's easier when you don't have a lot of, uh, maybe you don't have a family to take with you or like a, a job that you have to be, whatever it is, right. Like, so if you have the opportunity, like throw enough things out there, eventually something will stick kind of thing. And everything, I think if you're open to it can be uh, an opportunity to get you to the next right step of where you ultimately are going to end up anyway. Like you always end up where you're supposed to be.
0: Yeah. My my chiropractor in San Diego had a really interesting outlook on this because he ended up actually moving back to New Jersey from San Diego as well. And he, he said though that he believes you can find every type of person wherever you live. And he was well-traveled. You can find any type of person wherever you go. You just got to figure out what you want the background to be of that, you know, situation. And to me, it feels like there's a lot of truth in there, especially coming back to Sandy or coming back to Pittsburgh with this spirituality mindset and still finding people who actually want to talk about. I didn't think that existed on the East Coast. I didn't think we were allowed to discuss that on the East Coast. So
1: (laughs) yes a little bit more far and few between, but that is one of the benefits of social media. Like what are the, you know, if Instagram didn't exist, we wouldn't be having this conversation, you know, like I don't go to Pittsburgh. So like, when would we have met kind of thing? So I think that there is, that is what is nice about these like subcultures that have kind of formed on the internet is that you can connect with people. Again, people want to feel seen. You want to feel like people just get you and understood. So it's nice to have that community, which you can now have literally anywhere in the world where maybe it was more difficult, you know, back then.
0: Oh, it's so true. No, it's so true. And I was just talking to Christina about this, and here actually an extension of it, which is pretty funny. There was a yeah. buddy I, you know, would party with in San Diego. And so I brought him on the podcast, and then he introduced me to uh teal teal cooper who then oh yeah, yeah i brought on the podcast then somehow i heard about christina through teal she was probably on her podcast as well funny. and then and now that we're here with you so it's always funny seeing these little intricate ways that it kind of like finds this person to this person to that person and you know just like you're saying it takes a mile off its own and you know i even started making a list of where the location of all the people i've interviewed because like if i end up in that city it'd be great to see them Totally. And it's so all over the map. It's like Austin, Arizona, San Diego. You know, there's a beach in uh, I forget north of LA. I forget right now. Toronto. You know, there's yeah. a girl in South Africa. I want to bring on. You know, so it's yeah. it's so crazy to me. Like how exactly what you're saying. It's like you can. We now live in that age where you're able to just create your own community out of all over the world which is a crazy way to look well don't at
1: it. don't you um ski i feel like i saw that on your instagram you should plan like a ski trip for all the people that have been in your podcast uh, let's do a ski trip together with sec. everybody it would be fun right
0: i tried planning like a meditation retreat with everyone but then i don't i don't it didn't like really work out like i was i was, I didn't get really many replies on it and like the time frame but i'm 100 percent down on cultivating some sort of way because i I, i've thought about this so i'm glad you're on board with this some sort of way to have a like a guest you know retreat or something or you know some sort of way to get everyone connected because i feel like if i resonate with one of you guys then you guys are going to resonate with everyone else as well and maybe it's like a venn diagram but like for the most part i feel like it would be pretty dope
1: I vote ski trip, but ski, that's trip. Just me. ski trip or like lake house kind of vibes, you know, cause then it's like something for everybody. Maybe some people aren't into meditation, so it didn't resonate. And they were like, good point. I'm not going to go on a whole retreat to, you know, you got to do something where there's a lot of options to be like, okay, it's like going to a bachelorette party. It's like, everyone's not going to want to eat dinner at five. So what are the other options mm. that we can have going on for people?
0: The other thing I was thinking is maybe it's not, I haven't interviewed enough people. And this was, uh, again, yeah, this was back whenever I think I had like 30 40 interviews so it wasn't as many people but yeah i'll definitely be coming to you whenever i start trying to trying to plan that out or figuring out how we can make that work out
1: yes funtivities committee let's make it happen
0: (laughs) yeah i think it'd be super dope i think it'd be super dope (laughs) idea yeah ah brianna dude oh wait i want to get back to uh your thesis your thesis is it called thesis? For your doctorate? My dissertation. dissertation. Yeah, what was that on again? Anxiety?
1: Uh, the full title was Anxiety as a Symptom of Imbalances in the Body, the Role of Neuroinflammation, the HPA Access, and Stress.
0: Nice and long. so
1: Nice and long, because I think that all of those parts are really important. Like, people don't realize that there's different kinds of anxiety mm. in different parts of the brain. People don't realize that anxiety is on a spectrum. And that you know you can be oscillating on that spectrum at any given time. Neuroinflammation, you know, like is I think a really up and coming, emerging field, particularly for mood disorders. Um, and then stress gets a really bad rap. So I wanted people to realize that the goal is to modulate stress. Same thing with inflammation. We don't ever want to get rid of these things in our body. We want to modulate them, um, not eliminate them. So it was kind of talking about the role of all of those and how that kind of plays into the stress inflammation bucket and how that kind of works on where you could potentially fall on that, uh, anxiety spectrum.
0: So then was that kind of the crux of what you found was just how do you regulate these things?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I talked a lot about kind of what are the contributing factors, the triggers understanding again, what kind of anxiety you have, whether that's, you know, prefrontal cortex based anxiety or amygdala based anxiety. Those are kind of two of the the big subdividers. Um, how there are different nutraceuticals and, you know, plant medicine. So like herbs, you know, I'm an herbalist myself. So different herbs that can play a role in that. Lifestyle things. Also this idea of befriending anxiety and understanding that sometimes it's like a misuse of our imagination. So learning how to worry well and cultivate emotional well-being and emotional resilience, not necessarily avoiding or evading any of these things in our life. So really taking a holistic approach to understanding why it's even happening in the first place and what that means and how it physiologically is manifesting in the body and impacting different systems. So really, again, about that that goal of modulating um, and mitigating, not necessarily eliminating any of those things in our body. Because even anxiety, like you wouldn't want to totally get rid of that from an evolutionary standpoint, it was a really important emotion to have. Like you were in a tribe and you looked over and your brother was like freaking out a little bit and he gave you, you know, a look, you would want to be like, what's going on? Do we have to get out of here? Right. So like all of these things have served a purpose for us at some point. Um, And I think along the way, it's just gotten oversimplified or into a bucket or here's the problem. So here's the pill. And, you know, it's, uh, it's always anything in health is it's rarely ever just one protocol, one pill, one supplement, one herb, like there's so much more that's going on. So then I basically took that whole dissertation and turned that into my Befriending Anxiety e-course, which goes into all of that, like all the different modules about neuroinflammation and stress and what anxiety actually is and, you know, uh, vitamins that can play a role in it, nutrient imbalances, um, you know, botanicals, all of that. So it was kind of like, my life work that I gave birth to Mm -hmm. because anxiety was one of those emotions that I kind of struggled with. Um, It was a joke in my family, like Sunday night, Brianna, I would get super anxious for the week about everything I had to do and what sports I had and how I was going to balance that with dance and homework and whatever, and like working myself up into this you know, kind of thing. And so being a recovering super spaz was sort of my tagline. Like I made very cheeky and fun on social media over the years. And it's like anything like exposure therapy, like once you really understand it and like I learned all the things about it, you're like, oh no, this is like such a mellow emotion, and like actually like really means well, so it was um it's like my life work. I loved it
0: that's so funny, and it I feel like it really leads credence to how we never know why we experience certain things, and then it kind of like all bubbled up to becoming the dissertation for your doctorate degree, you know totally 20 some years I mean
1: it. In my uh, acknowledgement section, I actually like thanked basically the emotions that I had my whole life that kind of <laughs> led me to this point to do my dissertation on this. Because I mean, you know, a lot of times by the time you reach, you know, a PhD level, it's like, yeah, you've been in a field for a while and you could go anyway. So it's like, what do I feel passionately about and almost delusionally crazy enough about to spend hours upon hours, not only researching, but then writing and then defending and like dedicating a lot of your life work to being like no this is like really cool stuff that people need to know and i just i think it's an emotion like i said that people um you know are so quick to just be like your anxiety is lying to you and i'm like well no it's not like there's a lot going on like all, a lot of our emotions are super complex deep things going on so it was one that i just felt you know especially after the past few years, I think, you know, we're seeing an increase of mood disorders like anxiety and depression and things like that. So it's something I just personally wanted to destigmatize as well.
0: Mm. That's really cool. I think it's also really cool that you kind of turned it into a course that you're like, Oh, yeah, I just learned about all this. Now let me teach you and help you guys heal is on the way.
1: Yeah, I was like, I did all of the work and dedicated my (laughs) whole adult life to this. So now you guys learn and have fun. We'll just spread it around just spread it around. Yeah. So I was really, I was really, really proud of that because that was, like I said, just really cool. And, um, I think, and I, and, you know, I think a lot of the times in my practice as well, I saw, I was just, you kind of advice is a form of nostalgia. I always say. So a lot of the times when I was getting clients, it was many times younger versions of myself, super type a overachieving go, go, go Mm. like go getters burning the candle at both ends and like how I had that conversation with myself at around 28 being like, dude, you can't keep doing this your whole life, you're going to burn out. And you're just like, where are you going with this? So I even learned a lot through that. And I was able to help I feel like so many of my the clients that I worked with, too, um, because I had done so much of the research. So it was kind of just an extension of, you know, advice to my younger self and, and things that I want, you know, people to, to feel comfortable, like navigating and befriending a little bit more.
0: I find that so fascinating, because that's, Something I've heard someone else talk about, I forget who, but even myself with the idea of your, like coaching is almost just coaching like a previous version of yourself. Oh, absolutely. I've seen that because I do like channeling work. And so when people sign up and like, you know, I work with them and like, I'll, you know, connect to the spirit guides and whatnot, and then tell them basically the answers to their questions. It's so wild to me how sometimes like the guides will like, just won't talk. And I'll be like, guys, like, what the fuck's going on? Like they're they're waiting for an answer. And they'll just be like, Mm -hmm. you know the answer to this question. And then I like kind of to tap in. I'm like, oh yeah, I was just dealing with this last week. But how frequently that occurs is like very fascinating to me.
1: I do some mentoring for like some younger women. And like when they're starting to try to get their business off of the ground or, you know, even figuring out something as simple as like, what should my Instagram handle be? Right. Like, and we talk about like this idea of okay who do you wish like you would have had when you were at this stage of your life right like that's usually your ideal clients either advice mm. you wanted to hear when you were younger that person that you were frantically googling trying to find holistic practitioners for anxiety right like so it's becoming that because through that that is how you also learn and that's why now i'm also so picky about who i actually work with because to me, it's a relationship too. So like, I'm also learning things and I'm also having this energetic exchange. And so like, for me, it's really important that I'm going to be learning things too, that I feel like is going to help with the evolution of me as a person professionally. And, you know, so I I think that that's important for people to figure out, even if they're in just like their business part of their journey, like, who do I wish I would have had, And that's why I also, even with advice, like these prompts that I love too, because advice is not always just like what you need right now. It's also sometimes for what your future self is going to need. You haven't gone through it yet, but you might, right? Like, or you maybe had a friend who went through something similar and you're not there yet in your life, but you're like, there's some themes there that I could probably sit with. So it's advice to your younger self, advice to the chapter that you're in and things you're going to need to hear at some point in your life. So I, I like love anything that could be reflective in, in that kind of nature.
0: And speaking of have, it sounds like you have, but have you, I'm guessing you've gotten to that point in your life where like something, I don't want to call it significant, but it, it could be like very minor, but it feels very significant. But you have no idea like what the meaning is and you just know that it's something that's going to like reveal itself down the road.
1: I mean, that's how I feel currently. Like for me, like I was saying, like relationships, romantic relationships for me have always been my biggest teachers. And I know that there were so many energetic knots I had to untangle and learn. And that all went back to what we were just talking about before Mm -hmm. self-worth and all that and i feel like i've done you probably know how it feels like you feel like you're like i've done all my assignments i'm like i'm good to go and you're like okay so now i'm ready for my prize like i'm ready for my grade and the universe is like well not yet <laughs> and so i feel like right now for me i'm just like very much so in this this space of like fully trusting which is full surrender of being like mm. yeah everything is happening for me and comes to me in the perfect time space and sequence and like I fully trust and like that is the first I have said that in the past and not believed it like fake affirmations you know where people do that all the time and you write down a sticky note and you're like yeah I am and I didn't believe it and so like that that again discernment of knowing versus believing like it's a full-on knowing that like I'm exactly where I need to be doing exactly what I need to be doing and like everything. I'm an energetic match for things in my life. And it's like all, everything's always working out for me. So I think like right now that just so happens to be the phase of my life that I'm in. And for anybody struggling with the idea of surrendering and letting go, it's like the best feeling ever. Cause you're just like, yeah, man, like I placed my order and now I'm just hanging out with my friends and we're like enjoying appetizers and like having, you know, like good conversations. And like, that's how I feel like, I feel like I've placed my order and I'm just like, at the table, which is like the best part now of like hanging out and being like, yeah, let's see what's going to come out.
0: It's such an amazing reflection, because all I could think of was like, yeah, me too. I was just like, yep, same (laughs) here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. For me, that's just I know some people learn things in other ways. But I, um, I often joke about being like, I'm a slow learner and a hard learner. So but once I get the lesson, well, it's it's over, you know, that I'm like, okay, we're good here. And I've integrated it. And now we can fully move on. But it does. I've always been a slow learner, even in school. I'm like everything like that. Like I will have to really get in there and like want to know all the nooks and crannies. But once I get it, I'm like, we're good. That
0: go. was a that was a huge element of me and and trusting and like the, the energy of trusting. Because I was, you know, back to like how I work with my dreams. I like set up this mm-hmm. question and it had this whole cascade of answers. And it got down to one piece. It was like, you don't you basically still have like a trust piece missing. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like I do trust. <laughs> and then as I said that it was like, I-, I got like this flash of like, whenever like my spirit guides or my soul, whatever you want to call it, tells me something. I'll sit there and be like, are you sure? Like, are you, are you, uh-huh. are you sure? That's, are you sure? That's it? They would repeat it. I'm like, are you sure? And then they're like, no, fine. Fuck you. Like, we'll give you a different answer then. And I'll like, Oh shit. And, and then it like, and then I just saw this cascade of events whenever I would be questioning like this, you know, eternal knowledge that I'm receiving. And I'm just like, all right, guys, I I get what you're saying. I'll, uh, I'll just, I'll just listen from now on. I won't ask you three times to repeat yourself. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll try this trust thing. It it feels fucking weird, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens.
1: I think it's hard when you're somebody like you sound like, obviously, like you've talked about like excelling in school and academia and all that. Like when you have a very strong analytical kind of foundation or it's a pillar, like there is a lot of this struggle sometimes of, is it my intuition? I can, if you're smart, you can logic your way in or out of anything. And so there is this kind of battle. And it's funny because I actually just had some Reiki healing done. Mm. And that was the thing that was blocked for me. She was like, your intuition is like, on and off, on and off. And she's like, you have a hard time trusting yourself. And I'm like, I know. And I remember my mom being like, she's like, do you ever just like get tired of like <laughs> being yourself sometimes? And I'm like, yes, yeah, some days it's exhausting. <laughs> like, you know, always analyzing. And so it was just weird because I mean, you know, how it goes. like after Reiki and like that was cleared for me. And now I'm just fully like, dude, I fully trust like my I'm like, no, I am really intuitive about things. So sometimes it's again, somebody giving, they gave me the permission and the space to just hold that for me of like what I knew, but I was still struggling even with that. So I think mm-hmm. it's, it's important to feel seen and heard and feel supported because it is so much. Sometimes it's just that person who is that catalyst for you that you, then you have like a full send into whatever, you know, chapter that you're in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My solar, my solar plexus was my my big uh i think that's the trust the intuition yeah with my, i did a
1: lot of work on yeah plexus.
0: i'm still doing work on it kind of pissed me off because i have a story so whenever i first got into plant medicine the very first you know session i did was with psilocybin and it was a lot of intuitive intuition work with like you know the solar plexus chakra and all this different stuff and then whenever i did ayahuasca there was like this visual I got that a snake kind of like went into my body and was like collecting all the quote unquote debris. And it went through my entire body and was like about to leave my body. And I was like, wait, like you completely missed basically my solar plexus region where it hurts the most. And so the snake came back down, looked at it and then turned around and was like, no, this is for you. (laughs) And then just disappeared.
1: Oh, that's wild. That's just sick. disappeared.
0: And then, and then I'm like sitting there, I started fighting it for a bit. I'm like, no, like, like you fucking just take care of this, take care of this. And then I <laughs> sat there for a bit and I was like, all right. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to trust that this is like the best for me. And as soon as I had that thought, I like kind of turned and basically purged. And like, that was like the repetitive thing that I kept getting throughout that ceremony was anytime, yeah. like, anytime I started thinking that I should be tripping or that I'm not where I should be then. And I just let go. That was whenever I kind of had these huge, like, wow. And I'm kind of, I guess I'm still integrating this cause it's, I'm getting like reminded of a lot more, these huge, like energetic releases of, of yes, just, just, just trust, just fall in. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but if I, if I don't hold on, then like what, nothing's going to be able to grab me. And so it was, it's a it's a crazy feeling and I'm and I'm even feeling like a lot of energy even still kind of coming up around this as we're talking about it.
1: That's amazing. No, I think that's why I'm actually so I haven't done any plant medicines yet. Um and I'm so drawn to it because I just feel like it wasn't the right time and I feel like I'm really in a place now where I'm so o- open to it and I really want to do it. And part of the reason I actually want to do it as well is because I do feel like I struggle with being so analytical all the time and so in my own head. And I I feel like something like that, you literally have to be like, okay, I can't control this. Cause I've even been the kind of person my whole life. If something's supposed to make you really tired, it has the opposite effect on me. Like I've always been like that. So I had like low key. I'm like, Oh, it's cause I'm so like mentally, whatever, always like in the, in the thick of it. So I'm like, I really want to do things like that because I feel like, yeah, to your point, you have to just be like, no, we got to surrender and like trust baby and like, let this go, you know, and, like you can't get in there. And I would be interested to see how my body would respond to that and my mind at the same time.
0: Yeah. Cause you really got to just sit back and realize that you're not in control almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think it'd be interesting. Yeah. I, I, and even, I think the very first time I realized it was whenever I had taken the ayahuasca, I would like, I wasn't tri- like, it was like an hour and a half into it. And I like, was kind of just sitting there, like nothing happened. And I'm like, and I had to like, kind of coach myself up. Like, okay, if nothing's supposed to happen, that's like, what's best. That's what's supposed to happen. And, and then it wasn't until that pivot where it was like, okay, just, just trust that this is for the best that it like actually like purge. And then, you know, went into this whole mystical rabbit hole of stuff. And whew, it's a crazy experience. I mean, even if it's just psilocybin, I feel like it's almost it's on that yeah. same branch, you know.
1: I want to start there. That would be my starter plant medicine, and then I would work my way up. So, so we'll have to talk about that <sighs> offline.
0: Okay, yeah. If if you're not comfortable talking about it online, but...
1: oh no, no, I am. I didn't know. Like I didn't oh. know if you were. So
0: oh yeah, yeah. I've whew, I've gone down the rabbit hole pretty far with all this stuff. <laughs> it's all out there. Yeah, but it's uh, it's on. It's honestly interesting because I kind of go back and forth in whether or not ayahuasca or psilocybin is more like strong or more like. uh you know, which you should do. Like, it seems like in the realm of things, like people have like a little bit more of a apprehension to ayahuasca, but even through my like experiences, I still am kind of like, I don't know. I feel like they're, they're the same, but different. Like I, I could really see it going either way. I think it's probably one of those things where it's like, just whatever feels right to you kind of go for it. But I could definitely see people going with ayahuasca before psilocybin.
1: No, I think I would start with psilocybin first. It just seems like more of a mellow, not mellow in the sense of what it does to you, but like, you know, I've heard the stories of people getting like diarrhea and vomiting like that is just not the journey for me Mm. right now. So maybe eventually. And I also don't want to, I don't know if you have to do that for psilocybin, but like, I know you have to give up like caffeine and a bunch of other stuff before ayahuasca. And I'm not interested in doing that right now.
0: Yeah, apparently ayahuasca, people say uh, Western culture says that you should give it up for like two three weeks before and after yeah but it's interesting because like when you talk to people in peru or you know in the amazonian region they kind of say that you really only need to do it like four or five days beforehand that you know yeah. western society has ex- amplified it and so <laughs> <Tom Bryan>. yeah I said the same naturally yeah, i said the same thing i was like fuck it i'm just gonna still do it anyhow <laughs> <laughs> yeah so no I, and then yeah psilocybin i think yeah like caffeine the day before you know empty stomach usually you don't want to like have like crazy meals and stuff like that or stuff that's going to mess with it so yeah it's definitely yeah definitely different in those regards i feel
1: like it's also though you have to so you have to have conversations like this because you can't just a random person in an alley what you know like for me at least, like I feel like I would want it recommended. I always joke about there's certain things you don't get off a Groupon, like you don't get LASIK eye surgery, you don't get a deal for LASIK Mm. eye surgery, like you do the real thing, you pay the full price, right? Like things like plant medicine, I would want the full, like knowing it was vetted, knowing somebody had done it before or was somebody who was well recommended, because, you know, it's a very transformative process, I would imagine. And so you want that to be somebody who's, you know, credible and legitimate on some spiritual level.
0: Well, it's interesting, too, because I didn't find this out, I think, until afterwards, is that traditionally speaking, the only person who would take the psilocybin was the shaman. And then they would, oh, uh, what do they, they call it? I think they're called the akitos or Kios. It's like this chanting, almost like this song that they sing during it. And so traditionally only the shaman would take it. And then he would sing these, I wish I remember the name. It's like a Kios or Kitos uh, songs. And then everyone else would kind of just like lay there and just get all the information by themselves. And then when it came back to getting Westernized, it was actually, you know, now everybody in the thing, the shaman, the participants, everybody takes it. So, interesting. you know, there is also that option available if you want to go the the full traditional route, but You know, there's that also then going to be that piece of you that's like, well, if I'm going all the way down to Peru and finding a shaman, then I actually want to take it myself. And it's like, well, I mean, fair, but it's, it's funny. Yeah.
1: If I'm going to Peru and hanging out with a shaman, I'm taking it Yeah,
0: (laughs) I'm going to ingest that shit.
1: I'm an experiential learner and that is how I want to learn. I want full send into that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And no breaks.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, damn. Well, I mean, this feels pretty complete to me. uh, Brianna, how are you feeling?
1: I feel great. It was a great conversation. I loved it. It was super uh, enlightening. It felt energetically mutual. I love that. It's very rare. So, right on. Thank you. I'm appreciative for having me on and grateful right. for your time.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate your time. If you're interested, if you, <laughs> the longest podcast I have to date is my ayahuasca experience, I like, I actually talk about the first 15 minutes is like what I experienced in the first ceremony, and then the next hour and a half is like me talking with the shamans and like breaking it down and then and then the next 15 minutes is like the second ceremony and then breaking it down again and honestly it's a podcast i need to re-listen to but i'll throw that out there for you if you're interested
1: let me know like like let me know the number and i will definitely listen
0: i believe 45 it's either 45 or 44 i think 45 Um, And then the way I always end this is that I'm going to drop all your show notes or all your links in the show notes below. So I want to give you some space to talk to the audience, encourage them, plug some of your stuff, reference the links, but whatever's feeling called to you, just, I guess, speak from your heart and the floor is yours.
1: Yeah, thank you for that. I mostly live on Instagram, so my handle is just at Brianna Diorio, and my website is briannadiorio.com. I have my own podcast called the Brianna Approved Podcast, Um, so you can kind of find everything on my Instagram or website, so that's all there. And then if you're interested in learning more about anxiety, you can also check out my Befriending Anxiety course. And that's kind of all things Brianna Diorio.
0: I love it. It makes me Brianna approve. That makes me sound like you like rate stuff and they are like, oh, do I approve or disprove of this uh, chemical or is that kind of the setup of it?
1: Yeah, it. it- the genesis of it was like in my private practice many years ago, like I would have clients texting me things or we'd go to the store or whatever. And I'd be like, this is not Brianna approved or people would be like, is this Brianna approved? They would text it to me. And that just kind of became my thing. And then my brother and I actually were just like messing around when we were going to test out making a podcast and you have to put a name in. And I was like, I don't know, just put Brianna approved (laughs) for now. And then like, it was so on brand for me anyway. So it kind of just stuck. So yeah. Oh
0: yeah. I love it. (laughs) I love it. Well, Brianna Dioria, thank you so much for being here. Uh, audience conscious monkeys, thank you for being here as well. Hope you guys got some amazing intel out of this, and hopefully you're able to live a more aligned, healthy life from the information we discussed today. Hopefully we're all surrendering, gonna surrender into the uh, energy of the present moment, and appreciate you guys, love you guys, and I will see you guys in the sixth dimension.